If you're listening to us on the podcast, this is where your podcast began. And I have already talked about, because I hit the record button late, that we are a month away from the end of the regular season. The conference championships will be decided a month from this moment. We will be discussing who's in, who's out of the NCAA tournament, who missed out, who squeaked in, who surprised, who's burst a bubble. That's all ahead in the final four weeks of this season for most Conferences, there's about three weeks left of games before one week of conference tournaments. For a handful of of conferences, there's really only about two and a half to three weeks left of conference regular seasons before they get into their conference tournaments ahead of time. And, of course, we know the one conference in the UAA who will not have a conference tournament, so they've just got regular season games the rest of the way. The whole month of February in the UAA will be the second round of the conference. Top 25, again, feels a little bit stable. Knock on wood. Yes, there were losses. On the men's side, there were nine in the top 25. But come on, we were talking about 15 on some on some weeks, maybe more. That doesn't count the receiving votes category. The receiving votes category on the men's side took a beating. That might mean Division Three voters will, will consolidate more and, and solidify that top 25. Remember, last week was the first top 25 we had since 2013, week 13. End of the regular season, late February 2013 was the last time we didn't have any teams drop out of the top 25. Will these results result in the same and a consolidated top 25? Or will we open it up more and we will get more votes for more teams? Um, I don't know. I was surprised a couple weeks ago when things consolidated. I thought they'd open up with the amount of losses we had. In reality, it went the other direction. A lot of uh, extra fat, as it were, was cut out. So we're at, we're at the exciting part now of the season. We've been going through the grind. Even I felt like we've been going through the grind. And now we're into the exciting part. Now we're into that second round of games. Can the team that won on the road hold on at home? Can the team that one at home, hold on on the road, or, or get the upset on the road that they so badly need to stay ahead of conferences. Now we're starting to see the conferences start to split apart a little bit more. Surprisingly, Tufts has got a, a game-and-a-half lead in the NESCAC. I didn't think the top of the NESCAC would separate itself on the men's side, but it has. Whereas there's other conferences, CCIW, for example, where it's, it's nip and tuck. Now, the top two have separated themselves a little bit in the CCIW, but the rest is pretty crazy. But nobody's separated themselves in some other conferences. So, But this is where that starts to shift. Now we start to see teams start to pull away, or we see conferences get more complicated. And here's the trick. Those conferences that want extra bids or hope to get extra bids, or those teams who are not at the top of their conferences, who hope to get in as, an, as a... Uh, as a um, at large team, the NCAA tournament. This is now the time that is the most crucial. You've set your resume, and now you know in the last month basically what needs to happen. You will find out in 10 days where you stand in the eyes of the NCAA, and that will change the following week, and it will change the following. But the first regional ranking kind of is the good barometer for everybody. Where do we stand? You've set a resume to this point. You know if you can afford to take hits or you need to be solid the rest of the way. Any team looking to get in because they figure they may not win the conference tournament and need an at-large pick, this month is critical. You cannot stumble. You have to be 
on top of the game. It may not result in a number one or a number two seed in a conference, but you position yourself that when you hit the conference tournament, that maybe if you at least get to the semifinal or championship, you haven't done anything in the month of February to worsen your situation. If you come into February already with a couple dings and dents, you can't afford more in February. This last month is critical. If you come into this month in really good shape, you might be able to take a ding or a dent because the target's pretty big, but this is the month you cannot rest on your laurels. You've got to keep the foot down. And that's what makes the parody in Division Three so fascinating because I think it's harder and harder now to keep the foot down. I think the target is bigger. There is very few Whitmans out there right now this year. Whitman's got a very comfortable lead in the Northwest Conference in men's basketball. Doesn't mean they don't stumble, and it doesn't mean they don't come back to the pack, but they basically have some breathing room. But we'll see when it comes to SOS numbers. This is also that time of year I start really seriously looking at the SOS numbers. SOS numbers up until about a week or two ago are really hard to gauge because the second round of conference action hasn't really gotten put into play. Now we're left with anywhere from four to seven more games for everybody. While the SOS will shift, we have enough data to understand if they've got a good SOS or a poor SOS. So a lot of questions we'll ask tonight to coaches are, here's what it looks like, what do you think? And some of them will duck that question. Some of them won't care. Some of them will talk about the fact that they're not concentrating on the SOS, that they got to go out and win. That's fine. But for us and for many of the fans who are trying to understand the landscape of the NCAA tournament when it comes to March, Now's the time we look at those SOS numbers. If you're looking for those SOS numbers on the women's site, it's an easy math. So go under our uh, women's tab, I think, on D3 Hoops. I don't remember specifically where it is. I'm going to look at it while while we're talking here. Um, Under news, go to women's. You'll find strength of schedule. It's a very easy number to calculate on the women's side because they don't use the multiplier. On the men's side, they use the multiplier. It gets just a little bit more tricky. And thus, we go to our friend, Night Slappy, who has his his numbers that he has been able to figure out based on what the NCAA does the last couple years. And that brings me to this point. We have been waiting since November to find out. The men's committee talked to the stats committee, stats group, and said, are we sure we're, we're calculating this correctly? And without trying to go into inside politics, because this has been a long conversation on the show, back at the beginning of the multiplier, basically every single team you played had a multiplier. So if I'm at home and I play the other team, the other team on my home game, their record, not counting our game, our record, their record, not counting the games that we played, was multiplied by 0.75. Then if I went on the road and I played somebody else, same thing happened, but now multiplied by 1.25. What changed was the stats group said, you know what? We we think we have a better way of doing that. So they took every single team I played at home, took that entire win-loss percentage and multiplied by 0.75. They then took my entire away schedule and took the entire record, granted, not counting the games I played, and multiplied that by 1.25. In many ways, and this is where it gets complicated, they wiped out the multiplier. If a team plays a really balanced schedule of home and away, the multiplier is pretty much gone. 
it will fluctuate a little bit based on who you played on the road and who you played at home, depending on their wins and loss percentages. But it isn't a strong number anymore, according to what I've been told by Night Slappy and the rest. Uh, that's the idea behind it. So the men's committee went and said, are we sure this is right? Here's what I have found out. They have had the conversations with the committee. The stats crew has explained themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what I know. There will be no changes to how the math is calculated this year. We will go with the SOS number calculated, how it's been calculated the last two, three, or four years. However, there are changes coming to next year. So buckle up. What are the changes? I really don't know. We hope with the marathon show coming up on Thursday, our normal plan is to talk to both committee chairs. Now, this doesn't affect the women's. Hopefully, we'll be talking to Kevin Vandestreek of Calvin on the show Thursday to discuss with them, okay, what did they tell you? Again, it's a little bit inside politics, inside baseball a little bit, but it's still important because in a month's time, we're going to be looking at SOS numbers and we want to know what they actually represent. So there you go. There's also a bunch of other news and notes I want to get through quickly. We'll talk some more about them at the end of the show, and then we'll tell you our guests coming up. First off, um, by the way, Geneva's women's basketball coach um, back into coaching after a fight with cancer. Absolutely amazing story. Um, Lori Wynn um, had, to, had a, a, a real-life battle with ovarian cancer, prevented her from joining the team. Uh, at games so far in her sixth season. Um, she's been working remotely from North Carolina since diagnosed seven months ago. Uh, she now has the strength to travel, uh, enough time between chemotherapy treatments, etc. She is back on the sideline with Geneva. And the PAC, the conference, has done an amazing job of recognizing that. And everybody is playing for Coach Wynn. So a wonderful story. We'll try and get you more on that story in future weeks. Uh, by the way, really cool note, Case Western Reserve this weekend, throwback weekend. They did a throwback weekend to Case Tech and Western Reserve, the two schools that came together to make Case Western Reserve. For example, today, where old uh, Western Reserve uniforms, the Rough Riders look, um, it was awesome. And now it didn't go their way in terms of men's basketball games. Um, but it was a great thing to see. Uh, hats off to the school for that. For that, I would say do it every year. Just my opinion. It was cool to see the new, the different look uniforms. Um, they, uh, they, uh, well, actually they had to withstand a, a men's rally. Um, I mean, a, a rally from Chicago yesterday. Um, and ended up uh, losing that game 74-72 to Chicago. And Wash U, it says an 11-point game. I know that was, Case Western was, I think, leading that with a couple minutes left. Wash U hit a bunch of free throws down the end to win by 11. Wash U led by 16 early in that game, and Case Western came back and lost their forward probably for the season on a, on a freak accident. Um, not at liberty to say what happened. Um, maybe if their coach is listening, you can tell me if I can. Um, but they've lost him, it looks like, for the season. So they're down a, an important player. Is what stinks for Case Western Reserve men uh, is they've lost the last seven. Whereas on the women's side, they went one for two this weekend. They beat Chicago and then lost to Wash U. Wash U put up 92 points. Whoa! Um, uh, some odd notes. Um, a couple things. First and foremost, I told you there was something weird going on in New Jersey in women's basketball. Here's what I can tell you. 
FDU Florham's women's basketball coach, Mark Mitchell, has not been on the sideline the last two games, Wednesday and Saturday. From what I've been told or what I have learned, um, oh, I apologize. Let me quick. Uh, I'll get to that. Uh, anyway, back to Mark Mitchell. From what I've been told, um, they he, he's been suspended indefinitely. Believe it has something to do with some stuff that dates back to last season. I don't have definite official word on this. We're still trying to figure it out. But Mark Mitchell has not been on the sideline for FDU Florham games Wednesday or Saturday. Wednesday, they rolled over Manhattanville by 38 points, I want to say. 35, 40 points. They had two of their starters play 38-plus minutes. I don't know what that's all about. They had, I think, most of their starters play more than 30, and they won a game by more than 30. That game was out of hand at halftime. I, I don't know what the what happened there. Saturday, they got sent home unceremoniously by Misericordia. Again, Mark Mitchell not on the bench for either of those. We'll continue to follow that. At Adrian, Devontae Harris has been released from the team, dismissed from the team. He's the leading scorer in the MIAA. No idea what happened with Devontae Harris, but just found that out in a press release last night. Basically buried in the game recap. And then Augustana, their sophomore, Warford, Warford apparently is no longer at the school. Um, Coach Giovanni had a statement that he had to read from the head of communications for the school. Basically said he can't comment and Warford isn't at the school anymore. Now, Warford had an incident, I think in August where he was in an accident, I believe. And I don't think he was a, he was at fault for the accident, but I'm not positive. And it, and it escalated at a later date or later that day, there was an altercation. Apparently, Warford broke his jaw. Um, crazy things happening uh, in division with, with this case at, at Augustana. I really don't understand. We, we can't figure out what's ex exactly going on. Um, again, the case back... Uh, in August, August 31st, which protection orders were filed, Pearson Warford and, and Nolan Ebel, um, sophomores on the basketball team, um, filed a protection order against George Edland, who's a uh, junior and a former football player at the college. Uh, the order filed states that um, uh, Edland threatened them via email concerning key damage caused to Edland's car. It also states that Enlund confronted Warford uh, on a particular day in the lobby of the Carver Center, asked him if he was going to pay for the car, and then struck Warford in the face. Warford sustained a broken jaw and had surgery on said jaw. Now he's not at the college. I'm not saying those two go together, but it's been a rough year for Warford. So interesting situations going on throughout Division Three. What happened in the top 25? God, I'd love to keep going through all this, but we got to get to our guests. But one of the things that jumps out at me is Tufts, the number four team in the country, lost to Bates this weekend in their only NESCAC game. They stay on top and control the NESCAC. What happened? Ha-ha. It's called a segue. Coming up next, we will talk to their head coach, Tufts men's basketball coach Bob Sheldon, will join us on the show to talk about what happened against Bates, what's going on in the NESCAC. Are they comfortable in the lead? Hey, I don't know if they are. And a lot more. That's all coming up on Hoopsville. Back to my note, by the way, about Case Western. I'm uh, they, uh, Apparently they do throwback weekend every year now and wear the old school unis every year. How did I miss that? I'll be honest. I've been covering Division Three 
basketball for 20 years. I did not realize Case Western every year did throwback. I totally did not know that. And I know that may sound crazy to some of you, but I didn't know. That's fascinating stuff. That's awesome. I love it. Um, thank you, Dane, for, for filling me in on that one. Really appreciate that, uh, to say the least. Um, we're going to take a break. When we, oh, we should tell you the rest of our guests, shouldn't we? Uh, also coming up, Coach Carrillo from uh, Elmhurst Women's Basketball. They're number two in the CCIW. Say what? Yeah, we'll talk to them. Can they catch Wheaton? I don't know. They got a game against Wheaton coming up. Alex Ritchie from Oglethorpe will join us. No, not the one who joined us to talk about Stevens Point, the head coach of Oglethorpe. He'll be in the WBCA Center Court segment. Talk to him. He was one of the honorees in the inaugural WBCA 30 under 30, under 30 years old, already having tremendous success at Oglethorpe. We'll talk to him about said success even though they had a tough weekend. Then we'll head to Laterno in Texas. Dan Miller's got his Yellow Jackets humming and buzzing. They are on top of the East Division, and they are playing extremely well considering where this program has been. Laterno is scary and one to watch out for. Both Oglethorpe and Laterno, this is not a flash in the pan this season. And then we'll head back to New Jersey. Karen Harvey will join us from Montclair State. The Red Hawks lead the NJAC, but it looks like a tenuous lead to me. The NJAC probably deeper than it's been in a long time. How have they stayed on top? Coach Harvey will join us to talk about that. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. Don't forget, coming up on the show, Hoopsville Mailbag, if you get us questions. We don't have any right now. Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com is your mailbag segment. Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Um, and plenty more. We'll even go through the top 25. You'll listen to Hoopsville. We'll be back with more, including Tufts men's basketball coach Bob Sheldon, right after this. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it.
Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you are doing well. Uh, if you've got questions for us or want to interact with us, don't forget, on Twitter, at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville, at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Of course, we're on Instagram, though, mainly in a promotional reasons or promotional way. You can join us there uh, at D3Hoopsville as well as hashtag Hoopsville. I know I just got a um, a... Message regarding Mark Mitchell, um, and this is a different Mark I'm replying to. Mark, I am aware of some of that. I just don't know how much of that's on the record. I, I'd love to say 90% of what you've got on there. And by the way, Mark, I'd also argue there's a lot more than that. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about what may have happened with Mark Mitchell at the end of the show. I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait that long. But as a coach said to me earlier this weekend, he came up and said thanks. And, I, and, and by the way, we're going to add a new – anyway – Coach said to me, hey, listen, uh, the show's turned into much w- must-watch t- uh, show because everybody in every segment's got something interesting. And thank you. I agree with that. I think it is a must-watch show. So hopefully you'll watch or listen to the entire show the rest of the way. By the way, I'm going to add a new segment at the end. I don't know how well this segment will work, but we're going to call it Hoopsville Shoutouts. These are not necessarily to the best player. These are more team-orientated. These are things that I saw that I think were cool. They may not be a win. They, it, it may be even a loss. It's just something I thought was neat. I had a personal uh, moment uh, earlier uh, this weekend that I just want to give a shout-out to a team. That'll be coming up at the end of the show. We uh, mentioned uh, that we hadn't gotten through the top 25 due to all the things going on, and I'm a bit fired up because we got a month left in the season. There's a lot to talk about. And one of the things I mentioned was we'll cover what happened in the top 25 this weekend. The one that I did mention was that Tufts, unfortunately, took a bit of a hit this weekend. Uh, the men's basketball team, fourth-ranked in the country, only had one NESCAC game. They had to play Bates. Uh, and they had to play at Bates in Maine, and they unfortunately lost that game. But what does it all mean? Well, joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, sponsored by the City of Salem, is Bob Sheldon, head coach of the Tufts Jumbos. Coach, welcome into Hoopsville, sir. Well, thank you, Dave, and uh, thanks for bringing that up about Saturday. <laughs> Beautiful. You you knew I had to at some point, right? <laughs> that, yeah. You can't fly that one under the radar necessarily. Uh, well, um, I thought we'd warm up a little bit first, but go ahead. <laughs> hey, well, we can start with the warm-up. Uh, <laughs> first and foremost, obviously 16-3, and three, building off of what you guys did last year to get to the Elite Eight at home, lost to Amherst, you know, knocking on the door of getting to Salem. I, honestly, did 16-3? and three it was this kind of season at 16 and three, what you thought you could do the next year? Uh, yeah, I believe it was, um, you know, we had two great senior leaders that yeah. left us and, uh, but we had a lot of young guys that had played, you know, we have a couple of freshmen that have stepped in and are playing too. So I thought if we got, you know, some breaks, which we've gotten and we've, you know, got some chemistry going that I think we'd, I thought we'd be in the hunt. I really did. Well, certainly in the hunt, you are leading the conference by a game and a half on Trinity, Middlebury, and Amherst. It is that kind of conference this year. Bates and Wesleyan uh, are two games back at four and three, and Hamilton and Williams behind them. So it is a crowded field. Dave Hickson was on the show very first week of the of the season, uh, and I said to him, Dave, how deep is this conference really going to go? I expected him to say maybe three or four teams deep. He said this could be eight teams deep. It looks like it's eight team deep. Is it? truly that deep a conference this year yeah i think this is the deepest it's been in a long time and i don't think there's anybody that's a clear you know top of the top of the league thing i think with the you know top 25 we've had five people in the top 25 throughout the year as it's gone along um it is really deep i think in the eight any anybody can beat anybody anywhere and it's kind of happened um 
I know earlier in the show you said it was surprising that Tufts was on Tufts was on top with a game and a half lead. Was that surprising because it was Tufts or that it was only a game and a half, Dave? Surprising that you're the only one up there at a game and a half. I thought this would okay. be you, know, you and Amherst maybe tied or Middlebury tied with you or or so. I didn't expect you guys to have a game-and-a-half lead on the field. That's that's where I feel it's a little surprising. And honestly, have you won? It's a two-and-a-half game or two-game lead. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up I'm again. sorry. Um, I, I know. I'm subtly getting okay, in there. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's a tough. But we haven't played uh, Trinity or Amherst yet, right. and we're going down there next weekend. So, you know, I think it's a lot closer than, than it looks. But it's, you know, it's going to be anything – um, I think anybody can win our league, you know, the regular season. And then it's a big advantage if you win the league because then you get to host yeah. kind of the final four if you get through the first round. So there's a lot at stake. Yeah, I mean, let's just be real for everybody out there. Every single team is at 500 or above. Bowden and Colby are at the bottom of the conference, both 99 and 1-5 in, in conference. Just shows you how deep this conference is. Everybody else, the other eight, right? Eight, one, two, three, four, right. six, seven, eight, nine teams actually uh, with double-digit wins or better. So this is an incredible race so far. You're right. You haven't played Trinity and Amherst. We'll get to that in the single-round uh, games that, that you guys have in the NESCAC. But let's get the elephant out of the room here. You guys did go to Bates. Uh, obviously, that's not one of the easier trips, though for you guys maybe easier than Hamilton, um, and lost 84-72. There's a couple things going on here. I know you're missing somebody. We'll get to that in a second. But overall for the game, was this just one of those where Bates, who's certainly much improved, just happened to have your number yesterday? Yeah, yeah, they're a great team. John Ferbers does a great job up there. and I don't know if you've ever been to that gym. I um, haven't. Yeah, I think it was built back when Steve Brennan was in school there. And <laughs> they they haven't changed anything since then. So it, it's a tough place to play. And, you know, it was a big crowd. And, you know, we got off to a slow start and didn't shoot well. And it just kind of snowballed. And, um, you know, I think they were ready to play us. They did a good job. And they have two real good bigs. And... You mentioned we, we have an injury that affected us a little bit, but, you know, they, they took it from us. They came at us, and uh, they did a great job. I think Bates's gym was built back when Joshua Chamberlain was was at Bowdoin. That's how long old that time <laughs> yeah, okay. Um Yeah, let's talk about the injury here. Uh, many of us know um, that uh, senior center Tom uh, Pileschi went down, the Phillips Andover grad from Haverhill, Massachusetts. However, there's, you know, it's scuttlebutt. We don't know how bad the injury is. Is this a, a, a temporary setback, or have we unfortunately lost one of the more exciting players in the conference for the season? Um, I'll Bill Belichick, this we're not <laughs> sure right now. That's okay. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you're the polar uh, opposite of Bill Belichick, <laughs> sir. No, I, we're not sure with Tom. There's some things up in okay. the air. There's a slight chance he can make it back, but uh, okay. you know, if he does make it back, it won't be for you know, three weeks, four weeks. And, uh, you know, after a month off, I'll, you know, it's going to be tough. So, you know, we're, as a team, we're just, we're going on forward that he's not going to make it. If he comes back, it'll be, you know, a great thing for us, great inspirational. I don't know how good his basketball will be, but it'll be, it'll be good, really good for the team. So we're, we're hoping he makes it back, but we're not sure. Uh, plus you, we, we can go through his whole story, uh, his heart surgery and all that. Uh, and that's probably a story from another time, but, uh, he's third on the team in scoring uh, as a senior. Uh, you're led by junior Vince, Vincent Pace at 13 points a game, uh, six rebounds a game. Terry, uh, Tariq Smith, the senior, 13 points a game, three and a half rebounds a game, 
four assists a game. Then Pelesci at that 10.6 we point out and team high six and a half rebounds. And then you got another bunch of juniors that are helping you. Uh, ben Enval and, and Averett Dayton, 9.2 and yep. 8.7 points a game. So, you know, you're, you're not overly senior laden. You've got two keys. One is injured now, but you got a lot of underclassmen who are stepping up here. Right. We, you know, we, we try, uh, try and get down the court a little bit and, you know, get up and down and, and uh, we play 10 or 11 guys every game. And it's, it's good to get the young guys some experience. And I think that helped us with what you said earlier, how we kind of came into the season and didn't lose a whole lot, even though we lost those two great leaders. Um, and, you know, they had some experience and, and we're getting all our guys in there now. Freshmen are playing. And, you know, we only have one sophomore. He's playing. So everybody's getting to play and it's it makes for them to get experience. And it actually makes, you know, we have we have tough practices every day. I mean, they go at each other. There's a little trash talking in practice and, <laughs> um, you know, but it's just so competitive. It's, it's actually a great group to be around. Uh, you have some interesting results this season. Babson tripped you guys up 91-78 right before they had a thriller against Amherst. Uh, you then lost the next game against Mass Boston, which certainly uh, surprised quite a few people. Since then, up until the Bates game, you were undefeated. Uh, and now I see ticking along. You've got a, a wide selection of teams in here on your schedule, not only in the conference, but you've got the likes of Babson, but you also have a team like Southern Virginia who you played at Rutgers Newark, and I realize not much control over that one, Southern Virginia uh, in that tournament as well. You also have scores that are all over the place. Uh, your lowest scoring game, I think, was in the low 70s. Your highest scoring game was 113 points against Newbury the other night. What what kind of team is this that you have in terms of X's and O's? Well, I think, you know, we're a good offensive team. We have a lot of weapons. You know, I think we're averaging 83 or 84. And, you 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 know, you listed our leading scorers are at 12 and 13. Um, so I think that speaks a little bit for itself. But we, we're a little bit better defense this year than we were last year. You know, we, we average about the same offensively, but, Defense, we've started to pick it up a little bit. I think we're either one or two in our league in defensive shooting percentage. So that's, you know, that's a pretty good cap because I believe last year we had a little ADD, which was uh, <laughs> attention to defense disorder. Um, but we fixed that. And so we're, we kind of got more of a complete game. And I think it's carried us. Like you said, sometimes we, we don't score as much and we've played great defense in one. So it's, you know, we're a little bit more well-rounded as a team this year. Attention to defense disorder. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to mark that one down as a one to remember. Um, so, obviously, we're near the end of this. You've got five games left in the regular season before you get into the conference tournament. Obviously, you would love to position yourself to make sure this comes through Cousins Gymnasium. Last year, it had to go through Trinity, and it didn't work out for you guys. But you've got one of the more interesting finishes to the season, mainly because of the NESCAC schedule, but also because you decided to do this. You'll go non-conference against Mass Dartmouth on Tuesday. Then you play Trinity, Connecticut on Friday in conference play and Amherst in conference play um, the next night on the road. Then you're home against Pine Manor in non-conference play before finishing up against Williams in conference action. Did you purposely do that to keep the guys in rhythm, or is it circumstance? What was the mentality here to make sure you yeah. plugged in all the holes? It was it was kind of circumstance and in the rhythm. Like definitely the last game, we like to play one, you know, not go the whole week and not play before sure. the last home game against Williams. But the other ones were part of it is our academic calendar, and we just to get all of our games in, we couldn't get them in before Christmas, so we had to put some, you know, later in the schedule. 
um, you know, the second semester. Now I'm looking at it kind of wishing we don't have this one coming up Tuesday so we can <laughs> go back to work. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll go down there and see what happens. Uh, certainly could blow the rust off, but both those two teams in non-conference aren't that bad. Mass Dartmouth 12 no. and 7, Pine Manor is 12 and 6, um, playing. Both of them have kind of have turned some heads, especially Pine Manor this year. Is it is it hard to get the guys to focus on a non-conference game, or because it's just a game, it's a game, and it doesn't really matter? Um, it's no, we we kind of addressed that in the very beginning because with our league only playing everybody once, you know, we have 14 non-conference games, so it's. You know, it's a little different from a, a, a conference that'll play 14 or 16 games, and they may not mean as much. But with us, the non-conference games mean, well, not quite as much, but almost as much because we play so many of them. So we get up for them, and, and we kind of beat that into them early, and, and um, it's worked out well for us. So we'll, but again, we'll see Tuesday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's the message to the team? Obviously, we'll get regional rankings coming out here. Uh, in about 10 days' time, you obviously want to make the tournament and be in as best a position as possible. You're leading the NESCAC as we speak. Is this a, a, a situation where you, you let the team understand the whole scenario, uh, or is it put the blinders on and let's just focus on what the task at hand is on a game-to-game basis? And, yes, I just set up you for a nice Bill, Bill Belichick moment. <laughs> no. <laughs> Bill and I will be hanging out later tonight, but he's a little busy. Um, no, you know, we – we actually kind of put it out there for him. And we, we talked to him the other day because we have less than two weeks left in our regular season. Yep. You know what? We end next Friday. You know, we told him this is a time now to focus in and, you know, be smart, you know, be smart in the classroom, be smart with your eating habits, your sleeping habits, um, be smart with your social life. This is a time now that, and I think you said it earlier in the show, that this is an exciting time of D3 basketball this last month, and it can make or break you February where you want to go and where you want to be set up for the NCAA. So we, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on the next two weeks coming up. And then what happens after that, you know, we'll, we'll kind of start all over, but we're looking just through NESCAC right now. Let's get to the end of the season, maybe get that home, you know, at least one home game, maybe some more and then see what happens after that. So we kind of broke it up a little bit into a different season. And then finally, obviously the games against Trinity, Amherst, and Williams are important. The the one furthest back is Williams, but any result against them is going to affect those nipping at your heels. Is this something that you feel extra pressure about, or is it just a NESCAC and you got to go about and execute? It's kind of NESCAC. Um, yeah. I think, you know, our team, it's a good league. It's You know, I don't want to get anybody mad on D3, but it's the best league in America. And um, I think, you know, every game can count. And I, and I think we take a little heat because we don't play home in a way. Um, but on one hand, that's I know that's tough to do, play a team twice. But on the other hand, we could lose the first game of the year on a half-court shot to, say, you know, Trinity, and then we can't win the league because we never get a chance to get back. And even that, we could go 9-1, and they go 10-0. and So it's, it's tough only playing them once, and it makes every game that more important. And, uh you know, I think our players really get up for the NESCAC games and, you know, the crowds there and everything. So I think it's it's a great league, and it's just a, it's a great way to play. Well, Coach, I, I'm looking forward to the finish here. Uh, Dave Hickson uh, admittedly is right. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but Dave was right that this was going to be a heck of a NESCAC race this year. And so just to have you up top by yourselves right now is pretty impressive. 
At the same time, I'm looking forward. Buckle up for the last uh, two weeks of this regular season and conference <laughs> yeah. tournament. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to come on, to, uh, especially after the loss debates. Uh, we certainly were, wish uh, Tom Pelesi uh, all the speedy recovery. We hope we can see him back on the court, if not tip of our hat to an amazing career. In the meantime, we always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, no, I just, again, want to thank you, Dave. And like you said, this is just a great thing for D3. And, you know, I, I go in there for the scores. I don't go on the boards anymore because <laughs> I think I think my kids post stuff about us. <laughs> they should be playing more. Uh, but I just think it's a great venue for D3 people. And, you know, we tell our recruits about it, and they can look at it and see what's going on, get a feel for D3 before they actually get here. So I, it really has a – you know, wide-reaching audience, and I think it's a great thing, and I'd like to thank you and everybody that does that. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate you coming on the show and talking as well. Uh, I really enjoy our conversations. I look forward to hopefully talking to you down the road as well. So do I, Dave. All right, take care. Bob (laughs) Sheldon, better known as uh, Bill Belichick. (laughs) Just kidding. Joining us here on the show. Appreciate him taking the time. Again, the team is having a tremendous season at 16-3, and 6-1 in conference. They've got five games left, three of them in conference. Again, at Mass Dartmouth, at Trinity Connecticut, and at Amherst all next week. Then at home against Pine Manor and Williams the following week. We'll keep an eye out to see if Pileshi comes back. Sounds like he's probably out at least until late in the conference tournament. That's what it sounds like. If he gets back, it'd be late in the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament. So our wishes, good wishes to him. We'll see how this all turns out. Going to take another break. When we come back, we'll switch into women's basketball, and we'll head out to the uh, Chicagoland area or Illinois. Talk Elmer's women's basketball and the CCIW. Just how good are the Blue Jays this season? And should Wheaton and the rest of the conference really be that worried? you listen to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. Got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships, and we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin, nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops. We are calling you, all of you. We are calling all Division III schools to join our cause. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division III. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault.
Welcome back to Hoops, everybody. Uh, we got our next guest lined up. Trust me, Coach. I can see you. I can hear you. You're good to go. I know she can hear me. That's a little trick here. Um, you got any questions for us? Tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. By the way, uh, I let something go there for a minute with uh, Coach Sheldon. He said I, top conference in the country, he felt, in the NESCAC on men's basketball. And I didn't even, I didn't even answer that one. Okay, Coach, I'll give you top five. Actually, Gordon and I both agree. We think top three for sure, if not the top conference in the last couple of years. But it's fun. To, it's a fun little argument to have. Uh, congratulations to Tufts. I just couldn't let that one go without having some little comment. Let's go back out, as we said, to the Central Region now and talk women's basketball. And one of the teams we're certainly, uh, I've been intrigued by out of the CCIW has been Elmhurst. Coach Carrillo has had a, a fascinating season. Uh, they are already 16-3, and three, which m- matches the most wins they've had since 2010. They've done 16 wins three times, so they're already playing in what I would call gravy. 8-2 uh, and two in the conference, which puts them second in the conference, a loss behind Wheaton. By the way, this is how things work. Wheaton's on the schedule for next week. There's a reason we sometimes schedule these guests. So joining us on the Hoopsville Skype Hotline presented by the city of Salem is Coach Carrillo of Elmers. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time. We'll go into some details as to why this whole timing thing is really fascinating for you. But let's <laughs> talk about the season at hand. 16 and 3. This is a team that was 13 and 13 last year, 16 and 10 the year before, 14, 12, 11, 14. Six. People can get the drift. You have to lose the next six to get back to the best record you had in 2012. You're playing incredibly good basketball. You're eight and two in the conference, which is tremendous considering how tough the CCIW is as well. Yeah, you know, I I, I just really give credit to our girls and our coaching staff. You know, they've they've done a, a great job. You know, I, I really feel like we have um, great leadership. We have four seniors. Uh, this year and they all contribute they've all have started at different points throughout their time and then just the experience we play a rotation of 10 girls and eight out of our 10 girls are juniors and seniors and and we saw the difference i'd say from day one in practice just the the maturity and their decision making from even some of them from last year to this year um just how much they've grown Uh, and i think that's really helped us especially in some of our closer games that we've had this year you had, you know, certainly an interesting results across the board. In conference, though, you beat Illinois Wesleyan by six. You unfortunately lost to Wheaton the first time you saw him uh, by 18. Augustana then tripped you up. Um, you get a chance with Augustana and Wheaton coming up to return the favor, and you have a tough loss to Loris. But you also have some other big wins. You beat North Central playing their game, apparently, 103-81. Has this... Has this well, let me ask this a different way. Was the season expected to be good? Or are you literally playing above expectations? You know, for us, we always come in with such high standards. And, you know, we got picked, I believe it was fifth in our conference. And, you know, polls are, are polls, you know. And, and until you prove them differently, you know, they're going to be what they are. And, and we were disappointed in that. Um, and we just kind of really used that to kind of fuel, you know, the way this season been going. Because we, we felt like we were better than that because of how many people we were returning um, that got experience in, in, in the past year. And in our non-conference schedule, I mean, it, it probably wasn't as, as it, it wasn't as strong as what it's been in the, in the past, but that just really allowed them to kind of gain some confidence, um, especially in November, you know, um, 
just because this year was a little different with us adding a, an, another team in the CCIW, we started yeah. conference a little earlier. So, uh, you know, we just had, we had to be ready. And, and I would think that our November schedule kind of really helped us. Yeah, interesting enough, the three losses come in a span of five games, Wheaton, Augustana, and Loris, with Illinois Wesleyan and Platteville wins uh, sandwiched in between. So it's really just a little bit of a rough stretch right when you were talking about that conference schedule kind of rearing its head for you guys a little bit different for some schools, you know, very common. It's just the interesting thing about Division Three. It's since that Loris game, since your break for the holidays, is where you've been on this tear since January 31st. You've won, uh, what was it, eight straight. And now you got Augustana and Wheaton, of course, on the road coming up. Um, you, you're right. The conference picked you to finish fifth. I don't think anybody saw 13 and 13 went, oh, hey, watch out for the Blue Jays. So here's an, in, <laughs> here's an interesting twist on this. Has anything that the men did last year or the year before almost rubbed off on your team? And that's not a knock on your team, but no. sometimes that can happen. You know, the men and women's uh, programs really support each other. And Coach Baines has always been um, fantastic if, if we ever want to come in and, you know, we'll always throw, we'll bounce uh, different things off of each other. And then um, even Chris Martin, who is now the men's assistant at Loris, who was the assistant coach at, at Elmhurst. I mean, I would always go in there and bounce a bunch <laughs> of ideas off, off him too. Uh, so, you know, I definitely think um, winning on, on one side also, you know, it, it, it definitely seeps over to the other side. It's something that jumps out at me is that, you know, back in 2010, the year we talked about going 18 and nine was the best in program history in 24 years. We're looking to eclipse that possibly this year. You only need two more wins and you got to figure you're going to maybe get those at least in the next six, if not win six games. Has it hit you guys how special this season has been? Yes. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm always paused because I'm like, we're not done with the season. Right. Exactly. I realize. um, Yeah. It has just been fun. We had senior night uh, yesterday just because that was our last home Saturday game. And it it just was, it was enjoyable. Like I really have, have really tried to make sure that I, and I think the girls too have just enjoyed every second of this season because, you know, we've been in this, you know, field for a long time and, you don't always have these teams that just click the way they do the chemistry. They just have really bought into everything. Our co- I mean, I have a phenomenal coaching staff and everything that we have been, you know, preaching since day one, they just have really bought into that. And, you know, practices are fun. We try to keep it, you know, a nice balance between being serious, but also being um, just like, you know, just kind of easygoing. And it, it has really worked for um, this group of, of girls. Um, I'll talk about another reason. I think it was senior night the other night for another reason, but we'll get to that. But you're <laughs> listen, the CCIW is tough. And I know you also had an, a non-conference schedule that I wouldn't say we're world beaters necessarily. <laughs> you, you used it how you needed to, but Franklin and Greenville, Westminster, Aurora, Colorado college, Colorado, there are some good teams in there and, and some not good, but the fact that in CCIW play and up until this point, you are still outscoring your opponents by 18 points a game is pretty impressive. You know, um, when, after we lost to Wheaton and Augie, you know, it, it was kind of like you said, with our non-conference not being as, as as strong as what we needed to and then turn around and face some CCIW conference, it was kind of a knock in the face. And mm-hmm. we kind of had went back a little bit to the drawing board because some things that we were able to get away with early on, 
once we got to conference, we found that we weren't able to. Uh, so we spent, you know, a lot of time, especially on our on the offense, of really just making sure, you know, that it was clicking. And our girls are just they're just really unselfish, and we we've, we've seen that especially in the month of January of, of just them, you know, getting just as much enjoyment as as them scoring the points as as them giving you know their teammate an assist, and that's really been the key our inside and outside game um and being unselfish for us being able to score you know outscore our opponents the way we have um let's talk quickly about the team um you have four seniors as you pointed out but two juniors are leading the way mm-hmm. michaela eppert at 19.2 points a game 10 and a half rebounds so averaging a double double along with two assists a game and shooting nearly 60 percent from the floor and 81% from the free throw line. Kayla Jones, a junior, 11 points a game, four rebounds a game, two assists a game, also shoots incredibly well, including outside the arc at 41%. And then you have your two seniors in Hannah Lippman and Kayla Summerlin, two of the four, 8.8 and 7.8 points a game. So you're averaging 77 points a game. You only have two players in double figures. Those two are juniors. Uh, and you're outscoring your opponents by 18 with a lot of players contributing. This feels like you've got a couple big weapons, but that everybody can contribute. Yeah, and you know, and that's what I think. What makes this team, you know, so special is that you said you, we do have a couple, you know, people that can definitely carry the load if we need to. But we have so many other people that could that contribute. And our bench points that we get in on a regular, you know, regular game on a regular basis has just been huge for us. And in the past, you know, we just haven't had that. We, you know, we'll have the starters that will get the, the majority of our points and not as many points off the bench. But but this year, I mean, you know, we get a good amount. I think the other day we got 24 or 26 points. And and that's that's big because we, you know, we're out a lot of times outscoring the other team. And, and that just, you know, means there's not a drop off where we put in subs you know, the standard is still the same. And, and that just, I think, makes it much harder for, you know, a team to to guard us when the next person coming in can do just as much as the people that are starting. The tough part is the final five games of the season. Not only are you playing two teams that beat you coming up, Augustana and Wheaton, uh, and I should say six games coming up, because five of the six are on the road. Augustana's on the road, then Wheaton's on the road, then you're home against Carthage on a Wednesday, then you're on the road against North Central, Illinois Wesleyan, and Milliken, that is a tough stretch just in the fact that you have five of your six on the road. It's tough because you have Augustana and Wheaton and Illinois Wesleyan, all three teams you're battling for right now in that top group of the conference to try and make the conference tournament and be the best position possible. This is not easy work in the last couple of weeks here. Yeah, you know, I don't disagree. Our girls, you know, we kind of talked about that early on about what their schedule was going to look like so they – They've they've known this, um, you know. Early on, we we played on the road quite a bit just to even help us for hopefully this this stretch. But you know, my girls are competitors, and uh, as much as you probably want some of those games to be at home, you know, that's the way the schedule has, has fallen. And you know, to us, I love you know I know that we love the chance to be able to play the teams you know like Wheaton that's ahead of us, Augustine and Wesley, and they're just like a game or two games behind us, knowing that really. You know, we're kind of in control of where we're going to finish uh, this this conference season. And, you know, we see them in the last stretch, you know, to where I feel like we're playing some of our best basketball we've played all year. And then the curveball. <laughs> you are uh, expecting your second. And I don't know if I want to go as far as saying any day, but it, it <laughs> feels like it could potentially be any day now. 
Uh, I know you're due to, uh, I think your SID said at some point it will at least come in, in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. uh, whether you want it to or not. So you're going to have to step away to some degree. I certainly don't have any idea of, of how your plans are here, but how much of a wrinkle does that add? And I know you've got your, your primary assistant ready to step in, but it, how much of a shift is that, especially this late in the season that the team can or, or will not be able to handle? And, and I'm, I'm speaking completely curious because I, I can't think of a scenario like this before. <laughs> I know. Um, when I had my first child, I went on bed rest at week 32, and it happened oh. at the end. I know it happened at the end of January and it was so unexpected. Um, so this year in a, a different situation, you know, we, the girls and, you know, our coaching staff have known, you know, since day one that at some point I was going to have to leave, sure. the, you know, this kid was going to, was going to come I'm during the season. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> at any point. Um, so, you know, we, I've, I've been very, open about it. We've talked about the roles of the the coaching staff. And, and so I've been able to, you know, take kind of even a a step back at times. And especially here now that I'm, you know, just like you said, a week or two away that, uh, you know, I'll, I have to sit down quite a bit and practice. So my coaches will take, you know, on the, the offense, the defense, and um, you know, just so that way, and we talk about roles. So that way, you know, I, that there will we won't be able to you know we won't skip a beat at all they won't miss me I don't think when I'm gone. <laughs> well, I think they'll miss you, but I know what you're saying. Uh, you, hopefully, the team doesn't notice a difference in, yes. in what is going on. Uh, curiosity during games, have you had to temper yourself a, a little bit? I have, I have. It, it, <laughs> it's been hard. I not gonna lie. During the North Central game, when when they run the system, it was difficult. Oh. I I think I stood up all that game, but. The rest of the games here lately, my assistants have been pretty much almost just making me sit down, which rightfully so I, I need to sit down. Um, and, you know, it, it's been good. You know, I, I, I think I'm able to approach things a little bit differently. And so instead of even just kind of getting upset sometimes, you know, we're able to talk through it as a team and, and with our team being as mature as what they are, you know, they definitely understand where we're at in front of us. And, you know, I'm hoping that whenever this kid decides to come <laughs> that I'm able to like just maybe miss one game and get back because it's it has been such a fun season i do have a bye weekend coming up so i was trying to hope that maybe um, (laughs) the kid would shoot for that weekend and i didn't want to ask but since you brought it up yeah so you 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 do hope you can get back and then maybe have the time with the child afterward i mean that's that's got to be a tough decision i'm a father of two i i know what my wife had to do when considering work uh, and when she would or wouldn't go back, and they were different, you know, full-time at one time, and the other time she was working on her own. So it was obviously different dynamics, and, and I almost equate the working on her own as being you in season. So what drives you, if you don't mind me asking, to say, you know what, I'm not going to take the time. I am going to come as much as I can, come right back into coaching. Obviously, late in the season helps. We're not talking December where yeah. you still have four, four, three, four months left. But what, what drives that decision for you personally? You know, I'm very lucky to have a, a, a supportive husband, you know, to <laughs> understand. He's also yes. in the coaching field, so he understands, you know, the drive of, of what it is. And, you know, for, for coaches, like, this is our whole part of our season yeah. right here. You know, you wait this long to get to this point, you know, and it just, um, as long as, you know, everything's okay with my health and the baby's health and I can kind of come and go a little bit, uh, you know, I just – it's been such a fun season. I feel like there's plenty of time for me to rest, you know, and, and um, make sure I, I, I bond with this little one. 
uh, right after the season's over with. I'm sure we can bond them with a basketball if we have to yeah. in the meantime. Uh, Coach, I don't want to take any more of your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Fascinating story for the for the Blue Jays. I'm so it's so fun to go look at at conference pages and not see the usual suspects to see new teams emerge. And we're seeing a lot of that in the last few years. And to see your program up there is certainly fun. Obviously, tough finish to the schedule, but we're looking forward to seeing how you do. And good luck with the birth of the second one. Um, do you, by the way, do you know if it's a boy or a girl, or have you not released that or? No, I do not. My husband knows, but oh. he has kept it a secret this whole time. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive that he's A, he knows, and you don't, and B, he's kept it a secret. I, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Uh, it's almost like a recruiting trick. Um, well, Coach, good luck the rest of the way. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? No, you know, just thank you very much for having us on the you know this program and for letting – you know, everyone know a little bit more about Elmhurst College because I feel like, you know, we're, we're on a very good role. You know, it's it's been a fun journey. Yes. Well, it's been fun to watch you guys again. Tough stretch, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it finishes. Good luck with everything down the road, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Coach Carrillo joining us from Elmhurst. Again, the team is 16-3, uh, and 8-2 and two in the conference. Incredible stretch to go. But it should be fun to watch. We're looking forward to it. When we come back, we're going to uh, stick with the women's basketball theme, and we're going to go to our WBCA Center Court segment. Alex Ritchie from Oglethorpe joins us. What's it mean to be coaching a program that he's helped turn around under the age of 30? The WBCA has honored him for that achievement. We'll hear from him coming up in a pre-taped segment after their tough loss to Hendricks today. We still ahead, Dan Miller from Letourneau and Karen Harvey from Montclair State. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3 Hoops from the WBCA NABC Studios. We'll be back with more Hoopsville after this. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given, comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. Welcome back to Hoopsville. My name is Melissa Hodgson. I'm the head coach at The Wheaton College in Massachusetts and a member of the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. We hope you enjoy the show. Now back to Dave with WBCA Center Court. On the air, usually every Sunday and every Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, of course, the next two shows, that will be different. We've got the Hoopsville Marathon Show coming up on Thursday. We'll start at 10 a.m. Eastern and still be on the air at 10 p.m. Eastern and maybe a little later. We have a bad habit of going longer than 12 hours. And then a week from tonight is the, is the Super Bowl. We're not crazy enough to try and do a live show during the Super Bowl. We will go on earlier in the day, most likely 1 or 2 o'clock Eastern time, that time to be determined. Otherwise, we are on the air, 7 o'clock Eastern time. For most of our Sundays and Thursdays, if for some reason you can't watch us live, not a problem. We have our shows on demand, or you can listen and download the podcasts anytime you want. 
and catch up with the program. Uh, if you got questions for our mailbag coming up later in the show, email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. That's hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Going to start, uh, we're going to go into a little bit more women's basketball orientated here. Just got done talking to Elmer's head coach. Going to jump from the central region into the south region for our WBCA center court segment. Of course, WBCA, uh, a, a, a wonderful partner of ours now here in on Hoopsville. And we look forward on the upcoming Hoopsville Marathon to talk to their executive director, Danielle, Danielle Donahue. She'll be on the show coming up here on Thursday. But in the meantime, we have a center court segment to talk about. We're going to talk to a coach who's uh, rather young. I say that because I got a special honor now at the WBCA. 30 for 30, basically. That's not the exact title, but we'll talk more about it. Oglethorpe women's basketball is probably lucky to have him. He's an Oglethorpe grad. He also was an assistant coach for Oglethorpe, and he seemingly has turned the Oglethorpe women's basketball program around. Storming Petrels. Doing pretty well under Alex Ritchie, despite the fact that we catch him on a weekend he probably would love to have back. So joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville hotline is Alex Ritchie. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Coach, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate all you do for uh, for small college basketball, and it's an honor to be able to talk with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We should point out, we had an Alex Ritchie on the show talking about the Stevens Point um, investigation a few weeks ago. That was the one who won a national championship. That is a different Alex Ritchie, in case anybody is curious. Different spelling of the last name. But Alex from Oglethorpe joins us. Of course, both guys played Division Three basketball, so it gets a little confusing. Uh, Alex, we obviously do catch you uh, on a tough weekend. We'll talk more about that in the meantime. But tell us just a little bit about the fact that your, your, your kind of uh, trajectory, as it were, is rather interesting. Really good in high school basketball in Georgia. You went to Oglethorpe and played some years under Coach Philip Ponder, and then you decided, I'm going to go out into the real world. That didn't last long, did it? No, no, not at all. I was about eight months in, and Coach Ponder uh, gave me a call and offered me an opportunity to come back, and I put my two weeks' notice in that day uh, <laughs> just to get the opportunity to come back and have that opportunity. And My, uh, my boss at the time was a big college basketball fan, and he totally understood, and knew this was something that I'd really been looking to do, and um, it was really just such a blessing to be able to go and get my career started for uh, for somebody that uh, that I had thought so highly of, and Coach Ponder, who gave me the opportunity to play college basketball and, and get to work for him, and, and we've always had a great relationship, so it's been really special to, to be able to coach at my alma mater. What exactly was the draw out of the business world back into coaching? I've heard the stories. Lots of people will give their different variations of it. Sometimes it's because coaching is too strong a call. Sometimes because the career path they took wasn't the right one or some variation and combination uh, therein. What was the exact reason why that call from Coach Ponder was so successful? Well, um, I think it comes down to a couple things. But one, uh, the opportunity just to work with young people and help them achieve what they want to achieve in life outside of just basketball uh, was something that really drew me to getting back into coaching. Um, and then two, obviously, just the passion for, for the game. You know, I, I miss the game. And uh, you playing in men's leagues, it's not really the same as being in that competitive atmosphere. And um, I don't get to play as much as I, I used to. And I, I still try to, to keep the weight off. But um, it's definitely uh, it's definitely enjoyable to be in that locker room, to be on those bus rides, be on those team meals. Um, it's been special to be able to be a part of that as a coach now. So you were able to be an assistant coach with Coach Ponder for a couple of years, uh, top 25 berth while you were there, certainly some success. Uh, that certainly probably made it uh, pretty uh, successful and pretty enjoyable for you. 
Why the transition to the women's team? The women's program prior to your arrival certainly had struggled. Um, five and twenty-one on back-to-back seasons. Eight and seventeen prior to that. I mean, it had been a long time in in the sense of the feelings since '09 and '08 when they had won twenty-seven mm-hmm. games. What was the draw to the to the women's game, and why'd you why'd you make that leap? So my father, who is actually on my coaching staff, which is special in itself. Um, was a high school women's coach in the metro Atlanta area for 12 years. One of the first things I did when I got the job was name him to our staff, and he really helped us on the recruiting front. Um, and that's just been an amazing experience for our family. And, uh, you know, that I kind of felt like that was going to be the opportunity uh, for me to be a head coach, especially early on, um, just to be able to grow and, and learn in my profession. And when the opportunity came, um, I knew that opportunities like that don't come around all the time. So, for our administration to believe in me and to put their trust in me to help turn this program around was something that I, I couldn't couldn't pass on, and it's been very special. And it just comes down to the fact that uh, we really are passionate about the young people that we're bringing into our program, and they're the ones that are making the difference. It just makes my life so much enjoyable, the fact that we've got such great kids. Um, and I remembered you know, those days with Katie Kolick and Anna Finley when they went to the Final Four, so many great players the work ethic that it took, um, and the culture that was around the program. And we're doing our best to try to get back to that level. And we've got a long way to go, but um, we're really excited about the strides that we're making. Such great years under Coach Ponder as a player and then as an ath- and as assistant. Obviously, those two years we talked about, top 25 rankings and the like. Uh, I'm surprised Coach Ponder was so willing to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> he kept asking me, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? But uh, he was he was he was uh, instrumental in my hire, um, and just has been nothing but supportive and helping me develop and grow. And we talk every day, have lunch every day of the week, and you know he's just there for me to to throw ideas off of and can be more supportive and more excited. It's been really good for our two programs uh, to really uh, develop the relationship. You know we travel and spend so much time together, especially in conference play with the men and. Um, to have a, a cheering section at our road games and for them to be behind our young ladies who are doing such uh, fantastic things on the court. Um, it's really special, really special to be a part of. You, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, the the proper title is you were honored with the WBCA 30 under 30 honoree, uh, 30 player or 30 coaches, assistant coaches under the age of 30 honored by the WBCA for their success, their work, et cetera. Inaugural award last year, you were one of, Five Division Three uh, honorees, one of three head coaches in Division Three to get that mm-hmm. honor. Um, you had to be a little bit humbled by that, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, it was. It was. I can't tell you how special that uh, that was for for myself and for my family. Um, you know, not necessarily winning as many games as we wanted, so we uh, <laughs> we, we knew that. Uh, you know, I always make the joke, hey, if we had just won more games, and we would, then I would feel a lot better about this award. But it just uh, is a testament to the to the people that have been in our program, the young uh, young women that continue to work hard every day and and persevere um, through adversity, and um, you know, have taken this program to, to new levels. Yeah, every year that we've um, we've uh, worked in the in the program, we've increased our win total, and um, and we're just. We're in an upward trajectory, and I'm really excited about the direction that we're moving. And, um, and it, the campus has really started to engulf uh, our team, too, which has been really nice. We had some great home crowds. Uh, people are really excited about the things that we're doing, and it's a testament to the, to the great people in our program who are working hard every day. 
It's interesting. You know, again, you're you're the head coach. As you mentioned, your father, Jack Ritchie, came on board. Um, yep. As you mentioned, a pretty successful women's coach himself in the metro area. Um, mm -hmm. It's almost like the women's games are almost in your blood to some degree. Um, what is it about the women's game that you find so fascinating? Because we all know it's it's a very different game than the men's side, which obviously you got a chance to play. Um, man, there's just so many different aspects that are different from what from what we had on the men's side uh, when I was coaching with the men. But the the best thing about coaching our group specifically, and I can't speak for everyone's group, is they want to get better. Uh, they listen. Uh, they have great attitudes and terrific work ethic. We never have to stress about them in terms of their academic experience. Um, they are way smarter than I am um, in terms of the classroom, and, and they do everything off the court in the way that we want, uh, which as a coach um, I, I couldn't be happier about. You know, we're trying to develop a culture for a program that's more than just basketball. And, uh, you know, for the last two years we've been one of the highest GPAs on our campus. Um, last semester we had like a 3-4 team GPA, and, We've got students that are going to be doctors and lawyers yeah. and owners of businesses. And Oglethorpe is, in a, is a high academic place. And so, um, you know, we're really excited about the fact that we're, we're not doing it just on the, off, on the court, but we're also doing it off the court, which I'm really happy about. What's it like to uh, now boss your father around? <laughs> He's gotten to boss me around for plenty, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's, just, it's, so, uh, it's so special. Um, for And I know my mom likes it because it gets him out of the house some, too. And, and uh <laughs> So we've uh, we've really enjoyed the opportunity to to work with each other, and I've got another uh, two assistants, Coach Raina Ellis, mm -hmm. who uh, we picked up this year. She um, does a lot of our skill skill development work, and I tell our girls she's the best player in the gym every time she walks in there. And she's in her early 30s. And then Coach Frisbee, who's been with me um, since the beginning, was actually here with the, the previous staff. She's been nothing but great and uh, a rising star, I think, in in uh, Division Three women's hoops. And um, so I'm really excited. You know, I couldn't be happier with our staff and, and the hard work that they put in to, to get this program to where it is now. When we talk about the program's turnaround, like we said, 2014, 5 and 21, it had been back to back 5 and 21 seasons. Certainly not, you know, the best that the program, again, pretty far removed it would feel from that, that back to back 27 win seasons. Uh, 11 and 15 in 2015, 13 and 14 last year. Now we're sitting at 12 and 8 after a rough weekend. We'll talk about that in a yeah. second. You talk about the turnaround. The turnaround is dramatic. That is a huge turnaround. What's been the secret? You know, I just think that we spent a lot of time on the recruiting trail, and we brought in some really talented young ladies. Um, we uh, have zero seniors on our roster this year, and we're playing one junior. Um, so we're, we're excited about what the future brings. And, you know, what we've brought in terms of style of play, we're playing very up-tempo on the offensive end. Well, specifically in the first two years, our first few years, we played really up tempo on the offensive end, which is drastic from uh, from what, what they were doing in the in the past. Um, this year, we focused more on the defensive end of the ball, and we're still playing relatively quick. But we knew that if we want a chance to play for an NCAA tournament berth, um, it was going to be done in the conference tournament, and it was going to be done on the defensive end. So we've really put an emphasis on our half court defense uh, this year, and and we've really stepped it up in terms of communication and uh, strategy on that side of the ball. So. Um, it just continues to get better, but it's really, it really just is a testament to our people, uh, to the to the girls in the program, and they work hard every day, and they listen to everything that we say, and uh, they're just a joy to be around. So that's a lot of fun for a, for a young coach to be able to grow and develop myself, um, just like they're growing and developing with me. So it's been a lot of fun. 
it's it's fascinating to see how quick this turnaround has happened. You're sitting now tied for second in the conference after this rough weekend. To, yep. to even imagine you'd be in that position in the SAA at this point uh, in your tenure has, has got, I mean, obviously, you know what the potential is, but it's got to happen. And as you point out with a young team, it's pretty impressive to be in this position, despite the fact you went 0-2 this weekend. Yeah, and we appreciate that, and, and, we, and we're, we're cherishing it. We know that every opportunity that we come on the court is a learning experience. And, uh, you know, obviously we had two, two tough learning experiences this weekend, but my kids are all out watching the, the men's game right now, and they get along great. And, you know, we just try to move on to the next, next play, the next game. Uh, but they're totally invested in what we're doing, and they understand um, that opportunities like this uh, to be in the hunt this late in the season – they're rare, so you got to cherish it, and you got to put in that little extra effort, that little extra work um, to take it to the next level, and that's what we're trying to do this year. I know we're young, and um, you know people say, hey, this could be a year away, but we're really focused on the, the task ahead in front of us over the next couple of weeks to put us in the position to potentially play for a berth. For those wondering, we're talking to Coach Alex Ritchie. Uh, after their game against Hendricks, they have an eight-some-odd-hour bus trip back to Oglethorpe <laughs> in, in Atlanta, and so uh, we are not talking to him live. That would have been a little bit brutal on a bus. You just never know how that's going to be. Um, obviously a tough trip. Rhodes got you guys earlier, uh, and then Hendricks beat you guys today. Is this just an example of, of just where we are in the season, where the grind is a little bit wearing? You lose by 14 on against Rhodes and then on Friday, and then you lost by uh, 21 today. Is this just... Oh, yeah a bad weekend or, or, and maybe the youth showing a little bit of its, of its uh, inexperience. We talk about uh, the proverbial wall. (laughs) Yeah. At the end of January and how it can really uh, affect a young team. And we were talking about it even as a staff that, you know, sometimes when you have that senior who can, can really take it to the next level and bring everybody together, we don't necessarily have that. So it's one of those things that, um, I felt like this weekend we were competing hard. We really just couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. We shot terrible both nights. We had some open looks. Um, credit to both the teams that we played, though. Coach Matt Dean uh, at Rhodes, who's you know been there. I think he's as good a coach as there is really in the South. Um, you know, made some great defensive adjustments that we hadn't seen before, and really took us out of our offensive rhythm on Friday night. And Rhodes, although they they have a tough record right now, they are way better. Um, than their record. You know, they played a tough schedule. They were injured early in the season, and I think they're extremely dangerous. And uh, Hendricks has just – they've got the best player in our league with Sarah Dislin, um, who you guys have probably talked about before. And if you haven't, she's special. Uh, she's just flat-out special. And uh, when they get her going and her teammates feed off her energy, they're as good as anybody in our league as well. So two tough road games. Um, you know, fortunate enough, we only lost one game's worth of ground with some upsets. Yeah. On the other side, um, on the on the travel side, so we're still just sitting two games back of Birmingham with a lot of basketball to be played, and uh, we're going to just use this opportunity that we lost to this weekend, but uh, we still remain relatively healthy, knocking on wood on that, and uh, hopefully we can uh, get back on our on our grind next weekend on the road at Center and Swanee. Um, we won't mention it. Okay, I will mention it. it was Rhodes' second win of the season. Obviously, not how you uh, drew it up, but uh, I, obviously, yeah, this is a Rhodes program, not that far removed from a heck of an NCAA tournament run a few years it's ago. About, it's about culture for them. You know, sure. they've been there in the past, and yep. they they expect every opportunity to go out when they're playing in front of their Friday night crowd that they're they're the you know they're still in that championship level, and they played that way. We know they're extremely dangerous and. 
Coach Matt Dean, uh, you know, exudes a lot of confidence into them, and uh, they played with it on Friday night. So big-time credit and props to Coach and to their team for uh, playing really well on Friday. Started the season with a loss at Emory, which is basically down the street from you guys, then lost to Benedictine yeah. in a tournament in Indiana. Those are the only other time besides this weekend you've had back-to-back losses. But you're also in a tough stretch here. You're playing. We're now halfway through a stretch of four games on the road. Next weekend you'll travel to center uh, in Tennessee, and then you'll play Sewanee. Um, so you've got a bit of a haul here. Now you'll be rewarded as the next three will be at home, Birmingham, Southern, Millsaps, and Barry to finish up the regular season. How important is it, like you did at the beginning of the season, to forget these losses, kind of rejuvenate the team so you can stay in stay in position where you are right now in the conference, despite the fact you're on the road for the next two? Yeah, one of the, one of the best parts about having a young team is the fact that uh, – not long after the game, they can really just start laughing with each other and cutting up and, and really start to focus on, uh, on the next weekend. So um, I'm, not, I'm not too stressed about them. I know that they'll come to work this week to practice um, with the mentality that, you know, how important this upcoming weekend is. But we try to express every game is important at this point in the season. We're playing for seeding, playing for potential hosting, um, which may be a long shot now with us being two back with not many left to play. But – uh, you know, we're going to just keep working to get better every day because we know um, with our style of play um, and the thing that I think is the best part of our our team right now is our depth. And our depth, um, you know, could, could it really help us come tournament time when you got to win three in a row. So um, we've got a long way to go to reach our full potential with this team this year. And um, I'm excited to take the journey with them over the next couple of weeks. And we keep talking about youth. Uh, there is no seniors on this squad. There's one junior on the squad. It's a bulk of sophomores, a handful of freshmen. For the rest of the SAA, they're probably none too pleased that you're already having this success. Laura Ransom, a sophomore, leading the way at 12.5 points a game and seven rebounds a game. Jada Triplett, sophomore, 12 points a game, 2.5 rebounds a game. Bailey Charles, Charles, sophomore, eight points a game. Alexandria Brown, sophomore, 5.5 points a game. They're getting a lot of experience and a lot of spotlight on them now. That's got to be beneficial down the road. Yeah, and we played them a lot as freshmen, too. We knew uh, for us to get in this position this year, we had to play them a lot last year. Um, and, you know, that, that was tough some days when you're when you're learning on the fly with a bunch of freshmen. But um, it's definitely paid off for us this year and just kind of had to have that long-term view. And um, and we're just continuing to work to get better every day and, stay on the recruiting trail in terms of continuing to bring in top-level talent that's going to fit our culture and and uh, and continuing to get better every day. And, you know, this group, that, that group of sophomores and the group of freshmen have really bought into that. We've got a, a junior, Rebecca Spry, who uh, has been a great leader for us as well. And uh, and she's technically a redshirt sophomore, but she's junior academically, 4-0 student, uh, had an ACL injury as a freshman, um, and she'll be able to do uh, whatever she wants after graduation. She's been, been fantastic for us. So uh, it's just a really special group, and, um, you know, I, I just enjoy coaching them every day. Well, we look forward to seeing how the team does the rest of the way. Uh, obviously a lot still to play for in the final uh, five games of the regular season. Uh, obviously conference tournament play as well to follow after that. Before we let you go, though, we do always have a handful of questions that we ask each coach in the WBA BCA center court segment to talk about. If you don't mind, do you, do you mind having a little fun with us? Oh, uh, 100%. All right, cool. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So these are questions we ask all of, and that way we kind of almost can go back and compare just to hear different answers. So first thing, what's okay. your favorite thing about coaching, especially in Division Three? Uh, man, just the the full college experience for these student athletes. They can be involved in other things other than sport. 
They're great students and they're great people to work with. So that's uh, that's the number one. That's a pretty good answer. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, I am a stickler for being on time. So I tell our kids all the time, you know, bus is leaving at 825. You need to be down there by 820, and we're leaving at 825. So be on time so we can stick to our plan. On time is five minutes late. Uh, what's your favorite rule or nuance of the game? Favorite rule? Um, and the, on the women's side, I've loved the ball advance rule under a minute. Mm. Um, I think that just brings such excitement to our game. Uh, it really helps uh, in terms of late game situations. A lot of fun. I hope the men move to that, and I think it'd be beneficial. And uh, and the quarters have been great to me. I, I think that's been terrific. In our conference this year, we've moved to strictly media timeouts, uh, utilizing media timeouts, and that's been a, a learning process for me early on in the season. But by now, um, you know, we, we're all at the same page in terms of utilizing our our timeout situation. So, number one for me is uh, is definitely uh, the ball advance under a minute. I will agree with you on quarters. You and I will have to agree to disagree about moving the ball up, but we'll talk about that okay. some other time. Uh, All good. Any rule you want to see added, removed, or changed? Um, man, I, I think this uh, – I, I love the way the game has been called um, this year, and uh, I, I can't really say there's anything that I'd like to change. I do like the ball advance. I do like the quarters. I think it's, it's definitely been a, a benefit. So nothing to change right now. Uh, any pregame ritual or superstition? Oh, man. Uh, pregame ritual superstitions were different as a player than as a coach. <laughs> and they definitely are different this year than last year. Um, it's always just listening to the great music with the team. And we are dancing in the locker room before. We really like to keep it loose with our group. And we know that when they play loose, they're playing better. So I just try to make them laugh and cut up with them a little bit just to, to keep them loose before they go out there and play. And, and I think that uh, has voted success for our program. Um, we're almost done here. This is ironic considering you're you're about to get on a bus for an eight-hour trip back to Atlanta. What's the craziest travel experience? Um, this is probably such a long trip for, for a lot of teams. Yeah. Uh, we've actually, uh, in terms of crazy, I wouldn't say it's crazy. I think it's kind of cool. But every couple of years we've been able to take our teams abroad. Um, so last year, um, I was able to take our group to Costa Rica on our fall break, and we played some games down there, and we went whitewater rafting. And I had a bunch of freshmen um, in a whitewater rafting boat, <laughs> and they flipped they flipped two times in the first rapid, and I was just so panicked um, by the fact that they were falling so much so quickly. And uh, But we all survived, which was the best part, and they had a great experience. And those GoPro photos came out terrific. So that was a pretty cool thing that we've been doing with our program. And we're trying to make it so every kid that comes through our program in their four-year experience will do a, a broad trip with the team. So That's pretty cool. Um, how would your assistants, and this is going to be interesting considering one of them is your father, describe you as a coach? Oh, man, funny. Um, each one would probably describe me a little different. Uh, I think they would say that I'm pretty pretty loose. But I show the intensity when the time when the time comes with intensity. Um, but we just try to keep it loose, and I think all of our personalities feed off one another. Like my father, obviously in his 60s, gives the the dad away from home to the young ladies. Um, both Coach Ray and Coach Frisbee just are you know very good with their moral support of them uh, whenever they need anything. And and I just try to keep them loose, like I said, and, and allow them to have fun and tell them how much I love them, how much I appreciate them, because that's just a big big part of coaching to me is letting your letting your players know how much they mean to you and 
you know, we, we break our huddles with together and family every time, and that that's, can be more true for our group. Uh, what would uh, you tell a recruit that gets them excited to commit to Oglethorpe? I think the, the most exciting – well, we've got a couple things that are exciting about Oglethorpe itself. I think our location for a small college is the best in any, out of anywhere in the country. Uh, we're right in the best part of Atlanta. There's so much to do. We have great academics. Um, and in terms of basketball, if you look at our team and our dynamic, we think we're going to be good for the next couple of years. Um, and I have no problem playing young players. So uh, the opportunity to play for a freshman is always available if they earn it. Um, that's kind of my mentality, and I think that's the way college basketball has kind of moved the last couple of years. Um, but just the opportunity to be a part of a program that we think is going to be uh, around for uh, for the next couple of years in terms of uh, competitive, um, hopefully on the conference side, and then looking forward to potentially be a, a national contender like we saw in the past uh, with those great teams in the early part of the, uh, of the 2000s. So um, just the excitement that's you know a going and growing program and uh, a great location are the two things that I try to express to our recruits uh, when we when we get them around here. And then most importantly, when we get a recruit on campus, we have such great uh, young people in our program, and really we've had a lot of success when our when our recruits come to campus. Um, they leave the place loving it and feeling comfortable enough to be here. Cool. Uh, finally, and this is a long long term one for you, most likely when you retire. What do you hope people will remember you as a coach? Um, I hope people look at me more than just a coach, but they look at me as somebody who helped them achieve what they wanted to achieve in their life. And I tell recruits and I tell my players all the time that our relationship isn't just four years of you playing for me. It's the next 40. Um, and I want to be there and involved in your life uh, to help you uh, achieve your dreams. And so um, being a coach is a good platform to do that. But um, I'm all about building relationships and hopefully the relationships that we're building with our players here in this program are going to last us for the next 40, 50 years. Great. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Hoopsville in the WBCA Center Court segment. Appreciate you taking the time. Safe travels back to Atlanta. Good luck the rest of the season. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Dave, thanks so much just for the opportunity to talk a little bit about our program. And uh, Oglethorpe is a, is a very special place. And I've had a, you know, just a blessed opportunity to be here as a basketball coach. And hopefully we can continue to have some success on the court and continue to grow and, and build for the future. So just thank you again for everything you're doing for college basketball at the small, small school level. Absolutely. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us, and uh, good luck. Thanks, Dave. Alex Ritchie joining us here on the uh, City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline in the WBCA Center Court. Appreciate him taking the time. Again, team is 12-8 and eight overall. Uh, they are in second place uh, t- at 6-3 and three in the conference. They've got Center and Swanee on the road coming up next weekend. Then they finish up at home against Birmingham Southern, Millsaps, and Barry the rest of the way. We'll see what happens in the conference tournament. Good young team to watch for the next few years. Going to take a break. When we come back, we will stay down in the south, and we'll head over to Texas. Talk Laterno men's basketball. You probably haven't noticed, but the Yellow Jackets have also come out of nowhere to be on top of their conference and in the top of their division. We'll talk to their head coach, Dan Miller. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3 Hoops from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. I used to never really talk, ever. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. 
that helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Monday edition. Uh, if you've got questions for us, don't forget the Hoopsville mailbag coming up. Hoopsville at d3hoops.com is your email address. If for some reason you're watching the pod, listen to the podcast, watching this on demand, whatever the case may be, and you can't participate, watching this on demand, whatever the case may be, and you can't participate in tonight's mailbag, no worries. Monday edition. Uh, if you've got questions for us, don't forget the Hoopsville mailbag coming up. Hoopsville at d3hoops.com is your email address. If for some reason you're watching the pod, listen to the podcast, watching this on demand, whatever the case may be, and you can't participate in tonight's mailbag, no worries. Email us anyway. We'll answer your question on an upcoming show. Granted, the upcoming show is the Hoopsville Marathon show on Thursday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time. We'll go 12 hours. So we'll answer questions throughout the show. We'll see how well produced I can make that segment, but we'll at least answer your questions. So plenty of time, plenty of opportunities to ask us questions, and we look forward to that. Don't forget, you can also interact with us on uh, Insta uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram and Twitter, both uh, the same handles, at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. And Facebook, where we're streaming the show live, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Also, don't forget the Hoopsville fundraising project is underway. We'll certainly talk more about that at the end of the show. I'm going to head down to the south now, switch into men's basketball coverage, and talk to a team who, in some ways, you could say came out of nowhere. In other cases, you kind of could say maybe this one was brewing for a little while. It may have not started the way Letourneau wanted to start the season as they were 4-4 four and four midway through December. Since then, they've been on a tear to the mark of 12 in a row, which is a program record, and they have turned the program around to a 16-4 and four mark. They are on top, the AFC East, ASC East, <laughs> used to football, uh, for, uh, by a game with five games left. Letourneau could be the talk of the South region. And joining us on the City of Salem Skype hotline is their head coach, Dan Miller. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you taking the time. Seriously, 12 games in a row. The 4-4 four and four start was probably ominous, and it has been anything but. The, the confidence with this program has got to be climbing on a daily basis. Right. Uh, no doubt the guys, uh, the guys are, are confident, but, uh, you know, they, they're staying in the moment. You know, we, we just try to get a little bit better each day. Uh, even our four and four start, you know, we were right in some games. Uh, we gained a little bit of confidence in the exhibition game playing Division One Northwest State, which we led uh, almost the whole game. You know, we had a double digit lead on them. And I think our guys learned then that, you know, we got something special here if we just get a little bit better each day. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're playing well. Uh, we still have a lot of basketball ahead of us, but uh, I like the feel of the team right now. Um, when we talk about, obviously, the ASC and Letourneau and the schedule you have, it is tough to gauge it against the rest of the country. Uh, you pretty much play primarily Texas schools. Uh, if I look at this correctly, I, don't, I, I see a couple outside the state, obviously, in conference. 
uh, and a game against Rust, for example, etc. So for us, especially myself outside of Texas, it's hard to say, okay, I know exactly what Letourneau is or I know how well they're playing because I can't gauge it against anybody else on a national level. So with that in mind, give us kind of the spiel as to just how good you guys may be and, and not to be um, uh, uh, maybe mean. I, I certainly don't want to be in that way. Or is it, you know, is it smoke and mirrors we're trying to read through? It, does that make any sense? Like we're right. trying to gauge you guys and it's a little hard to do. Right. No, uh, first of all, I think we have a great conference. Uh, the ASC uh, has been a great conference. You know, just it was just a few years ago, Mary Harden Baylor uh, didn't win our conference and, and got all the way to the national championship game and took second place, uh, you know, in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, year in, year out, uh, the ASC beats up on each other. Yeah. Um, and, you know, every game, uh, every game you play in the ASC is going to be a tough game. Uh, and I think our conference fare, fares well uh, when we do step outside nationally. We we probably don't, you know, we're in the South a lot. We're in Texas a lot, you know, other than Louisiana College and Ozarks, of course, uh, Bellhaven now in Mississippi. But, um, you know, look at what Harden Simmons did when, when they traveled. Uh, you know, I think it was between Christmas and New Year's and they won a couple of yep. games against a nationally ranked team. And, you know, so so we believe the ASC is one of the better conferences. Uh, and we believe, you know, right now we're playing as good as anybody in the conference. So, uh, you know, we think, uh, you know, we have a lot of basketball ahead of us yet. So we're not done. Yeah, I got to see Arden Simmons, obviously, at the uh, D3Hoops.com Classic in Las Vegas. Certainly impressive, which is why you guys do, in a way, jump out to me. You lost to Arden Simmons. How was your last loss? 69-65 right before that. They weren't at full strength quite yet. I think that's what makes them scary. What were you guys able to take from that game, which was obviously close, that you've right. now used in this 12-game stretch, which includes two wins over Texas Tyler, who's a game behind you in the conference? Right. It, the Harden-Simmons game here was a, a real grinded out. Uh, it was an excellent game. You know, they're missing uh, O'Neal, one of their better players, no doubt. But um, they're, you know, they're they're loaded. They still had a great team, and um, we felt we should have won the game. You know, we had them at home here. Uh, you know, it was kind of a back and forth game. Uh, we had a couple shots down the stretch that we just didn't hit. Uh, what I took out of that game, and I think our guys took out of that game, is we knew Harden Simmons, you know, was kind of the class of the conference right now this year with, with, with the seniors they have. And Coach Karst does a great job uh, there. And, and we felt we were mad. We should have won the game. Um, and I think that fire really has sparked us that we don't want to be in these close ASC games and not come out on top, you know. Um, our guys hate losing more than they love winning. Uh, so we're trying to avoid that, obviously, like everybody else. But that Harden-Simmons game, I, I do think it kind of sparked us in this run a little bit. Um, and, and since then, I, I will say, I think we're playing 40 minutes better. You know, I think we were playing good in spurts when, in the beginning of the season, but we weren't doing it for 40 minutes. And right now, that's, you know, that's kind of our motto. Uh, you know, just, just lock in for 40 minutes. It's going to be a battle. If we do that, we feel we'll come out on top. You guys are outscoring your opponents by nine and a half, ten points a game. You're scoring 86-plus points, almost 87 points a game. You've only had three games where you've scored in the 60s. Uh, they were a loss to Texas College, non-Division three, a win over McMurray, and then the back-to-back -back game with Harden-Simmons scoring 65 and a four-point loss. Otherwise, most of your games are in the 80s. You've had a couple of 100-point games, a couple of 90-point games. Does that mean that your offense is that high octane, or is it because the defenses you're facing maybe just aren't a, you know as what we're used to in the terms of good? 
Right. No, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say our offense is, is the high octane. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> you know, um, there's some good defenses in the ASC. You know, we're, we're blessed on our team because we got five guys on the court who can score at all times. You know, we, we have a lot of shooters um, in our system. You know, we're scoring 86, 87. I think we might have cracked the top 20 in scoring uh, in NCAA D3 last week but you know we're doing that without we haven't pressed one time all year uh, we don't trap you know we we just play straight man-to-man defense and you know sometimes of course our, our steals can turnovers you know can lead to points but for the most part we we just come down and I think we're very efficient on offense points per possession and you know um, we run a motion offense you know similar I guess to the division one level a lot of concepts from both Notre Dame and Villanova uh, you know and, and although we don't have the talent players that they have I think we run the offense at a high level and we do have very good shooters um, and we can also go inside our post players are playing very efficient if you look at the field goal percentage of Loggins and Seidel and Herrera you know uh, that's helping a lot so we can play both inside and outside we can play fast and we can play half court style so uh, we're, we're happy with the way our offense is going but we know we got to keep it going uh, you know to, to accomplish what we want to at the end of the season here though. I think Villanova showed last year you can use some outside shooting to win a national championship. <laughs> yeah. Just, 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 yeah, just, just a thought. <laughs> uh, you talk about the shooting. And let's talk about this team. Uh, for the most part, it's a bit of a young team. It's, it's, yeah. it's only got two seniors on it. One of them is one of your top scores right. on the team in, in Jeff Martin. The rest are underclassmen. So in, in, we'll talk a little bit about what the future may hold. But you've got five guys essentially in double figures. Six, really, if you count – uh, 9.3 coming from Caleb Herrera. But you're led by Alec Kolhoff, an underclassman at 15.2 points a game and five rebounds. Jeff Martin, that senior, 13.5 points a game, six assists a game, and five rebounds a game. Um, both of them shoot over 40% from the floor. Nate West, uh, 13 points a game, 13 and a half re- or 3.5 rebounds, 43% from the floor. I just want to point out the percentages here because it's ridiculous. Christian sure. uh, Seidel. 10.8 points a game, 4.3 rebounds a game, shoots 54% from the floor. This one's a ridiculous one. Caleb yep. Loggins, 10 and a half points, six rebounds, 65% from the floor. Obviously, he misses, <laughs> um, but does it feel like he misses? I mean, he seems like a go-to guy every time down the court. Right. And, and you know, Caleb is such a high-efficient uh, high guy, you know, on offense. And, you know, we can go inside to Caleb uh, Loggins, and, and he's, he hits the 15-footer at a very high high level. But, you know, the most amazing thing about Caleb is he is our unsung hero when it comes to doing all the little things. Uh, you know, he's a good rebounder. If you look at his shot blocks, he leads us in, in uh, block shots. Uh, he took a game-winning charge against ETBU last week. He usually guards the best uh, offensive player if it's three, four, or five position. And he, he's been a great – last year he was the uh, freshman of the year in the ASC East, and uh, he took a big jump from his freshman to sophomore year. So I can't say enough good things about Caleb Loggins. So for argument's sake, you've got six guys in double figures. You've got right. a couple yep. guys inside who are shooting the lights out of the building from short range. Mm-hmm. you got the other guys who are certainly shooting well as well from deep. You seem to have a lot of weapons. I mean, you're shooting 37% from the field as a team. By the way, Seidel's also shooting 51%, 52% from beyond the arc, 44% for Koloff. What don't you do well on offense? <laughs> well, you know, like everybody, you know, we, we have to improve some things. You know, we, we have times where sometimes we dribble a little too much and get a little dribble happy, and when, when, when the ball isn't moving, we're not at our best, you know, like – 
you know, we try to talk about good to great with the Spurs concepts with that extra pass. I got a good shot. If I make that one more pass, we're going to have a great shot. So there's times when, when we're not doing that, um, you know, and like everybody, you know, we can have some times when we're, we're not hitting uh, through stretches. But we believe through 40 minutes, we're hard to defend uh, with our weapons. And, and we have some guys coming down there below those six guys that we have a lot of confidence in. Um, we even have some guys like Cordell Jackson. He doesn't play much. And, and, you know, we needed a little spark against ETBU. He comes in there. It really is his first playing time in, in a, a close game that he came in and he sparked us on the defensive end, hit both his shots. So, you know, we, we really like our team top to bottom. Even our young development guys seem to get better every day in practice. So we're excited about now, the present and, and the future of Laterno basketball. And you mentioned the future. Obviously, we've turned this program around. Um, last season, you guys were 5-20. and 20. The last two seasons, you were 5-20. and 20. Haven't been above 500 since 2009 when we mentioned those 16 wins. Um, we mentioned you only have two seniors. One of them is obviously key, but the rest are coming back next year. And while I know we're talking about this season, and I know you'd love to win a conference title, make the NCAA tournament, et cetera, right this minute, the future does look good here for the, for the Yellow Jackets. The, what you guys are building looks like it has some sustainability, not a we've got a bunch of seniors and we don't know what's going to happen next year type scenario. Right, right. There's there's no doubt. What's important to me is, is when I took this job three years ago is, you know, I, I was thankful Coach Dyke, uh, you know, had the confidence in me to, to turn the program around. You know, they the previous years before they, they struggled a little bit. They had some good years and did some good things. But, you know, they were just down in, in terms of wins for a little while. I think before I got here, it was, you know, four wins, three wins. Um, 11 wins and then five wins. So my first year was tough. You know, we, we, we had a team and we only won five games and that was real tough personally. I know with my assistant coach, coach Wallace and, and the players and, but we had to start somewhere. Um, and that first recruiting class for last, last season was so important. Uh, that's when we brought in Seidel and, and Caleb Loggins and, and Kohoff and, and, and Martin transferred in. And, you know, um, we really felt that class was our future, you know, uh, to set the tone, not just for them, but then, you know, to follow behind it when they see the winning take place. So last year we improved from that five wins my first year to 12 wins. Uh, we were 12 and 13 going into the ASC tournament. We lost in the ASC tournament, so I guess we were 12 and 14. But we had a winning record in conference, eight and seven. Yeah. Uh, and that that was the first time that was done in a little while for the turn on the ASC. So there was a it was a stepping stone last year. And now this year, uh, in my third year here, I, I feel like we're really turning the corner to where we should be. But we talk about it every day with the guys. You know, it's important that we're getting a little bit better every day because we want to sustain this as a program. Uh, we will lose Jeff and we'll we'll lose Eric Roberson, who's a good leader in the locker room, maybe not seeing the playing time, but he does a lot of important things for our team. But, but we have a lot of good players returning. Uh, we're recruiting a lot of good players. Hopefully we will get. Um, so if you're one of our recruits watching the show, we hope you come to Letourneau. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we feel that it's important to, to sustain a winning program. And this is a big step this year in what we're doing. Sorry, Coach. I'm well past my eligibility status. I'm pretty much done. I, I apologize. Um, this is that time of year we are looking at the SOS now. The regional rankings will come out in about a, in a little less than two weeks, week and, a, week and a half for the first time. So at this point, we kind of understand what those SOS numbers look like. Right now, uh, our expert thinks you'll be third ranked in the country or in, in the region, obviously with a good record. Your SOS is above 500. But the truth is, four of your next five opponents have below 500 records. That SOS is going to come a little bit south um not completely there's other factors involved so 
while you might look at the first regional rankings and be happy about them when they come out, assuming the stat, you know, what what we're assuming, mm-hmm. how do you keep the guys focused on the fact that one slip up could honestly put you guys on the outside looking in and that you really don't have a cushion here that you got to go all out right right there's there's no doubt about that and and we knew that when we started the season you know our goal was to host the conference tournament because we felt like if we could host the conference tournament we would have a great chance of winning it and 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 that's not a guarantee you know just because you host doesn't mean you're going to win and no and, and so by any means but that was our goal you know as i'm sure it was everybody in the asc east but um you know we have a chance at it now but we we feel uh, as probably everyone in the asc does is is you have to win the conference tournament to get into the NCAs. Now, you know, us, we believe us and, and Harden Simmons and I'm sure Tyler, if they keep things going and, and even Concordia is right there also. Um, I don't know where they all, we'll all be stacked regionally ranked when it's all said and done, but I think all four teams, you know, are right on that cusp and all four teams could, you know, could get in. Uh, but but we know that we might be a one-team league. So it's it's going to be that conference tournament, uh, even though we don't feel we should be a one-team league across the league, but we beat up on each other. But I, I, I think that that conference tournament, no matter where it's played, is, is going to be highly contested every game and a lot of fun. So well, we're going we're gonna to have to be mentally tough and ready. Well, obviously you have you just played East Texas Baptist and Louisiana College this weekend. You beat East Texas Baptist by four. You beat Louisiana College by 20. You'll flip that almost UAA style. Yeah. and play Louisiana College uh, coming up this weekend along with East Texas Baptist. That's how you'll finish it off uh, before then playing three more, Bellhaven, um, and then uh, by itself on a weekend, then Texas, Dallas, and University of Ozarks to finish it all off. What's the message? I mean, obviously you kind of indicated we want to get we want to be in position. You kind of have an advantage. You have a one-game lead on Texas Tyler and the 2-0 win against them in, in conference, so you technically have the tiebreaker should you slip. But what's the message to the team more than we want to be home for the East? What is there a, a driving force or a goal in mind outside of just hosting? Right. Uh, you know, there, there really is. It's, it's a little cliche, but, you know, we always say the, the most important game is the next one. So, you know, we, we don't want to look ahead by any stretch, you know, and, and even our next game, we have to travel to Louisiana College. They play very good at home. Uh, and, and you know how it is when you're in conference play. You know, you can kind of throw those records out. Uh, anything can happen because both teams know each other so well. We just got done playing each other. Um, so, you know, I'm sure coach will have, have some wrinkles there for us when we travel there. And, and then we got to turn around and go to East Texas Baptist, which is over the last several years since I've been here, this is my third year, I, I feel is the hardest place to play in the ASC. Um, you know, last year they went 20 and five. The year before that, they went to the national tournament um, and they've won the ASC East the last two years. So, you know, we, we need to be really strong this week. We're, we're going to talk about being road warriors because we want a 2-0 and week. We really think that's important uh, to, to close this thing strong. And, and you know, if, if, if we can get to 20, uh, 21 wins, you know, and, and we're not looking ahead by any stretch, but we know, you know, we, we might have a chance. You know, we might have a chance with the regional rankings. But um, we'll just we'll bring it back tomorrow, uh, bring all that back, and, and just have a great practice in preparation for our road trip to Louisiana on Thursday, though. Dan Miller, Laterno University men's basketball coach. I feel like you're a little bit um, conflicted because you grew up in Wisconsin, went to school in Minnesota, and you've been back and forth between Minnesota and Texas in your coaching history. I feel like you're almost you're in Texas a while and go, yeah, I really want a blizzard, and then you go to Minnesota, you go, no, I really like the sun and the warmth, and you go, 
what is up with the back and forth? It's the craziest thing to read in the bio. You really have to read it word for word to understand what you've been up to. Right. Sometimes I, my wife and I wonder, what have we been up to? You know? <laughs> There's no doubt. We get back up there. We, we come right back to the south. Yeah. And, and I think this will be as north. So you know, right here, Longview is north part of east Texas. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, um, I was down here in Texas uh, as an assistant high school coach and I had the chance to to go up to uh, southwest Minnesota State and, and work under Coach Steeman. Uh, and work with one of my good friends, Brad Bigler, and who's now the head coach there. Uh, so we were assistant coaches there and had a good experience there. But um, there's a school opening up in uh, in Katy, Texas, uh, that I kind of had my eye on to be a head coach. And uh, I was able to move down here to Texas and, and, and be the head coach at Seven Lakes High School, which is now that Texas went to 6A's, you know, a yeah. 6A high school, one of the biggest high schools in Texas. And, um, I really enjoyed that experience, you know, for nine years, starting a program from scratch. You know, we started with freshmen and sophomores. Um, I actually coached three of the guys on our roster. I coached them in high school. I coached Jeff Martin, Alec Kohlhoff, and Eric Roberson. You know, so there's not many, I think, college coaches uh, who get, you know, had coached their kids in school. So, you know, I, I joke with Jeff and Alec. I said, you'll finally be rid of me, you know, in, in another year, you know, after coaching them, you know, for seven, eight years. Um, so it, it, it's been really neat. And, you know, I love Seven Lakes. We had, you know, I, I think one of the, the best high school basketball programs for sure in Houston, um, you know, and, and we're building something across the uh, and they're still great. Uh, my good friend Coach Heston took over and is doing a wonderful job there and keeping them strong. So, you know, uh, I was just getting, you know, ready to turn 40 and I just felt a new chapter in my life. So uh, I'm thankful that Terry Dyke uh, took a chance and hired me as the head coach here. And, um, you know, I've really enjoyed this. It was a challenge, you know, uh, it was a challenge, you know, uh, to turn this the program around. And we, we feel like we still have a long ways to go to, to where we want to be. Uh, but I've enjoyed the, the challenge, you know, and it's, it's been it's been fun to see where we were uh, three years ago and where we are now and, and kind of the culture change just within the basketball. Um, it, it's a compliment to the to the guys, uh, and and we're just going to try to keep it rolling. I think I figured it out. Minnesota, uh, the land of Thousand Lakes, and then you went to Seven Lakes High School. Yeah, there you go. So I'm thinking that was part of it. The other thing is you just got a head start on the on retirement thing. Everybody who likes to live up in the north during the, the summer and live down the south during, you just did a hybrid of that. <laughs> uh, Coach, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Really impressive. I mean, it could end up being a 15 game turnaround in the span of two seasons. Uh, which is not saying anything lightly. That is tough to do uh, in any any conference in anywhere. So congratulations, especially as big as the ASC. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on that the rest of the way. We look forward to seeing if you guys can pull it off and stay at home for the tournament and then see if we can see you dancing in March. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, uh, I just want to thank you, uh, Dave. You know, we really appreciate you uh, giving us uh, some attention, uh, Laterno Basketball, and we were real excited with your show. You know, we watch it, we check it out. I just think it's a great platform for D3 Hoops, which uh, you know and I know is some great basketball across the country. So we're thankful, and uh, stay tuned. There are a lot of exciting things ahead for Laterno Men's Basketball. I have a feeling you are right. We will stay tuned. Thanks so much for the kind words, and we will look forward to talking more about the down the road. Take care. For sure. Take care. Dan Miller joining us once again from Laterno. Uh, the team, again, could have 15 wins by the time this is done. Uh, they're at 16 wins, I should say. Could have a 15-game turnaround, up near 20 wins by the time they even hit the ASC tournament. Whether they make March, well, it's to be determined. They've already had a heck of a season, and we look forward to seeing how it finishes. When we come back, 
Well, we'll jump north, too. We'll head out to New Jersey, talk women's basketball with the top team in the NJAC, or are they? It's a crazy NJAC this season. Karen Harvey from Montclair State joins us. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now and take it. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. And welcome back to Hoop everybody hope you are enjoying this sunday show we're obviously going to be heading into overtime we still got one more segment with a guest and then we've got our uh, mailbag segment our final segment which we'll have the mailbag we'll quickly go through what happened in the top 25 talk about the fundraiser and the upcoming marathon that's all still ahead so we'll probably get off uh two and a half hours in the show so we'll try and keep this quick if you got questions for us at any time especially for our hoopsville mailbag which is rather full this week uh, we went from no emails to a lot we got a full mailbag. Email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. That's great for all you podcasters as well who are listening to the show when we're not live. We can answer your questions down the road. Um, also, you can interact with us on hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville on Instagram, where we mainly promote the show, but also when we travel, you'll see what we're up to at d3hoopsville and hashtag hoopsville there as well. And of course, Facebook, where we are. Facebook uh, live um, broadcasting the simulcast of the show, hoopsville, uh, facebook.com slash hoopsville is where you go. I'm going to go back to women's basketball now and jump into New Jersey in the NJAC race, one that we pretty much haven't paid enough attention to on the show. We've been paying attention to it. I just don't think we did a good enough job to get guests on. There's a lot of reasons as to how or, or ways that we book guests, but I left this one to way too late in the season. So we're going to do it right and go right to the top of the conference. Not surprisingly, Montclair State is leading the way. I think more surprisingly might be that uh, I thought they might have a tougher season than apparently they're having. 18-1 overall, 11-1 in conference. But what's really interesting is that this week ahead gets really, really interesting. So let's go to the Hoopsville Hotline. And joining us there is Karen Harvey, the head coach of the 18th-ranked Red Hawks. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Hey, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely appreciate you taking the time, as always. Always love chatting with you. Um You've been on my mind all season because for some reason or another, somebody I know is either playing you or the is a fire or something along those lines, or there's some game about with some team on the East coast. And, uh, and for whatever reason, you're my barometer. Uh, <laughs> and it started with Haverford at the top uh, of the season. When we talked to uh, the, the chair this year, um, Haverford's head coach, uh, Bobby Morgan, she said she was starting with you guys. Um, did you not get the memo? You're supposed to let the chairs team win, Karen. You you beat them fifty six forty three. Didn't Bobby send you the the note? Uh, Bobby's a good pal of mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you started a two game slide for her in three of the first four. Fun. 
Hey, we were just getting her ready. Look at her now. Yeah, I know. Looking at her now. You're right. They're on a tear, and we'll certainly be talking to to Coach Morgan down the road. Of course, you you went on a tear yourself. You beat Haverford. You beat Williams. Beat Hamilton up at Williams. Then you beat Kane, and that game is going to – we'll talk more about because that is key right now. Beat Steve while they were struggling out of the gate, and and they're a good team, just underappreciated. You really had a good start to this. Uh, Then you went to Las Vegas to the wrong tournament. Um, you went to some tournament that's not held at the South Point Arena, <laughs> where you beat St. Mary's of Indiana and Regis of Mass. And Regis is usually a pretty good team, but uh, you beat them seventy to twenty-eight. Um, talk about not seeing that one coming. The only blemish on this is TCNJ. And when's the last time you guys scored forty? Yeah, we struggled. We uh, TCNJ is a good basketball team, and Dawn Henderson is a great coach, and. She put the good zone together, and we I, I think we shot 12% from the three-point line. But I, I give the credit to TCNJ. We did not shoot the ball very well at all. And, uh, you know, we were coming back from break a little out of sync. I think uh, I think we got ahead of ourselves a little bit. So, you know, uh, maybe that did us a little bit of good. Got us back straight. There you go. Well, you did have an interesting comeback from break. The last games you played were in Vegas on December 21st. Then you came back on the 2nd and beat Cortland and beat New Jersey City. Then you got a postponement of your game at Stockton. So you kind of yeah. had this weird break in there of a week before playing Rutgers, Camden, and TCNJ. And you can tell from those two games that you guys were a little bit off. Yes, agreed. Um, so TCNJ trips you up. And again, I, I don't remember the last time you only scored 40 points. Um, but then you kind of got back on the horse and beat Kane again. And the reason I bring that up is Kane, I think, is a surprise right now in the conference. They're 13 and 6 overall. They're 10 and 2 in conference. The only two losses. Those two games are huge right now. Uh, yes, huge. Yeah. That's a big tiebreaker to be holding in our pocket if we need it. Yep. Is We we played really well against them. I you know, I'm very proud of my team. They we really you know, we uh, I think we were going we we had a great first semester. Yeah. We had a really great first semester. We were playing well. Everything was clicking almost to the point, Dave, where you don't want to go on break. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. and then we went on break and we got a little out of sync from that. And then we had that long delay, like you said. And, uh, you know, it, it but, um, you know, we'll learn from that, I think. <laughs> back on track a little bit now. So Your season's also pretty balanced. You played 11 games before that break. Uh, so leaving basically 14, 13, 14 games post-break before the tournament. So a very balanced. A lot of teams sometimes are light in the front end and have a ton of games in the back end. But that Stockton game has been looming. You have got a <laughs> heck of a week coming up. Oh, um, I know. <laughs> it's not on the D3 hoop schedule. i got to go at it. That's that's me. But you will go to Stockton tomorrow uh, and play the makeup game. Then on Wednesday, you're at William Patterson. And on Saturday, it's the return engagement against Stockton at your place. It's only you two coaches waited to the last possible moment to sneak this game in. I'm not going to lie, Dave. That's not that's not the two of us. Oh, really? <laughs> out of well, your control. Okay. No, no, out of my control. January oh. 30th is our designated snow makeup date. Okay. And, uh, we tried to play that game every Monday except for that one. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I did not want to play Stockton twice in one week. I'm not going to lie. But I, I don't blame you. I don't yeah, blame you. I think that's tough for both programs. But. but let me ask you this. Is it better to play them first on the road so that the return engagement is at home? I think so, yeah. Okay. 
So at least maybe it's in your favor in your mind. Um, obviously, that's big. You've got six games to go with that Stockton game coming up on Monday. Then William Patterson, Stockton, New Jersey City, the return engagement against TCNJ and Rutgers Camden. You're 18-1. and one. We're very accustomed that the Red Hawks kind of roll through. But the inject's been a little bit tougher this year. Absolutely. I think the whole conference is up. I mean, if you look at – we're trying to stay above the spray a little bit there. Yeah. If you look at it, everybody is beating everybody. Yeah. You know, there is not an easy game. I mean, we barely got by Rutgers Camden. And, you know, TCNJ got us. We had – we've had some tough <laughs> – it's tough. You can lose – we can lose to anyone. I mean, everyone's like, oh, we have six games left, but it could go. There's a lot of movement that could still happen. Yeah, so. Six teams with 12 wins or more. You've only got a five-game lead on Rutgers Camden. And I mean only because who knows what happens in the next six. Nobody's eliminated right. from first place technically. You're technically above the fray. Kane, as obviously with the tiebreaker, is further than a game back in reality. But Stockton is good. William Patterson is good this year. It's almost like the men's side has has moved into the women's now. <laughs> yeah, all and all. Yeah, the women's programs are doing a great job. It's a really tough this year. Um, you know, we were looking. Uh, I was doing a little early uh, national committee look at the region. <laughs> good, good. And, and um, <laughs> you know, we we we're kind of beating each other up, and I hope that that doesn't hurt us down the road because you know we've been yeah. fortunate to get two and three teams in, but we got a teams with a lot of losses right now, six and seven losses that are real football teams. Yeah, and we should mention Karen Harvey, if you don't know, is the Atlantic chair and, and on the national committee. Uh, second year for you this year? Yes, it's okay. my second year. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, she's looking at that stuff ahead of time. But, yeah, I mean, you, you do have the risk of what's gone on with the men for the last few years. They can't get that extra team in because of those extra, uh, losses, that extra beating up, as it were. What has changed in the conference? Because it used to be you guys or somebody else would dominate and everybody else was just kind of playing basketball. We got some great coaches. We got some great new coaches that came into the league, and we got some coaches doing a good job. Recruiting is up. You know, people are out there working hard. I, and I think the schools in the NJAC are getting better and better, just academic institution-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think we're drawing a lot of students. We're a really affordable conference. You can get a great education for, you know, you don't have to mortgage your house necessarily. <laughs> so, you know, I think we're attracting a lot of really good students. And I think, um, you know, coaches are out there working hard and and you're seeing it on the women's side, you know, in in basketball. We'll talk about your team in a moment, but a quick question about Kane. Obviously, they're kind of the uh, bellwether, as it were, when it comes to not doing or not playing by the rules. Um, And obviously got dinged really CAA a a few years ago for their women's basketball program and some other issues that took place. And they took a back seat. I mean, they went from 22 and six to five and 18 in one season and kind of were sitting back there for a while. They did have a good year at 18 and 12, but they haven't been a major threat. Is it, what's your reaction to see them back at the top and in the fray again? I think Mandy's done a great job over there. You know, she's, she's done a great job recruiting. She's got, I'm sure you're well aware of the sophomore that they have over oh, yeah. there, um, you know, that kid is unreal. She's one of the best basketball players in Division Three, no question. I mean, her pull-up jumper is unbelievable. And, <laughs> you know, she's got some other pieces that are doing a good job with. So, And their style of play is tough for a lot of teams. You know, they're, they're quick and athletic, and they play fast. And, you know, so, the, you know, they've got a lot of good pieces there. Um. You guys are outscoring your opponents by 17.5 points a game, and you've got one loss 
Pops, it's the TCNJ. As good as the NJAC has been, as good as Kane has become, how, and, and I mean this seriously, how do you only have one loss? Uh, I'm going to say rebounding. Okay. <laughs> good. I love that answer. I'm going to be honest, Dave. Like, we have been working for three years to try to get our team to be a better rebounding team. I went a little nuts like four years ago trying to figure out how we could become an NCAA team. And all of the number crunching and research I did pointed to rebounding. So we've really been trying, and this is the first year it's really clicked, and my kids are bought in, and we are, you know, we're rebounding the basketball really well. And some games we're out-rebounding teams by 20, 10, 20. It's good numbers, and it gives us a lot of extra possessions, and it's – um. You know, it's really helping us. It's going to be interesting because, it, uh, you know, we're going to have to do that against Monday. will be in a really good test for us because Stockton is out opponents by about the same margin. So mm. it'll be a good test for us. But I really think that's a big piece of it. You're out rebounding your opponents by seven on average. But if you look at the defensive rebounds, uh, now, granted, defense to defensive rebounds is not comparable. But just to give an idea, it's almost an 80 rebound difference. Uh, and your and your offensive rebounds, you're getting almost 60 more than your opponent, uh, obviously extra chance points, shutting down extra chance points. I can see how yeah. that's important. Your leading rebounder is Katie Sire at uh, eight rebounds a game. Uh, you've got four others at four plus almost five rebounds a game. So that's five or six players who are getting significant boards. Clearly that's a change in mentality. And obviously they're attacking those boards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talk about it, drill on it. You know, it's a big part of what we're trying to do. Um, Let's talk about this team. I'm kind of used to you at this point having some turnover. You have three seniors on this year's squad. Off of last season where uh, maybe it wasn't as good as we're used to, 22-7, and it still was good. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it was interesting. Did that kind of maybe burn a little fire under this squad to – I mean, you got to what the the you lost in the second round to Albright, and I was obviously a very good team. Very good. Was that interesting enough? The second straight MAC Commonwealth team you faced in the second round too. It, was that kind of a, a, maybe a little bit of a fire under this team coming into this I, season? I think so. You know, I, we were kind of young last year. I mean, we have one senior. We lost yeah. her to an ACL, so we played the whole season with no seniors. You know, and I think that. I think finishing where we did wasn't enough for them, wasn't good enough for them, you know, and we we still had a great year. I mean, we won our conference. We went to NCAAs. Yes, we lost to a very, very good Albright team in in overtime, but I think they want their season to go longer, and I'm telling you, I have never had a group come back more improved than this year's group. I think they really – they put the time in, you know what I mean? They didn't just talk about getting better. Like, they went out, they worked. Some of them worked. Uh, even if, let's say 14th man on my team did two workouts a day, six mm. days a week for the entire summer. I mean, uh, these kids really worked hard yeah. and they came in first semester and it like with skills that they did not have in May. That's, that's pretty impressive. And, and again, it shows on the stats, you know, Sire 15 points a game, uh, Toby and Kraus nine points each eight and a half from Curtis. But what's more impressive is you, you have a lot of players who are either shooting a well, uh, Sire and Toby are above 46 or about 46%. They shoot free throws well. They shoot three points well. Uh, almost everybody you see on the top five does everything well. That makes it tough to defend you guys. Yeah, and that, I mean, I think that's the other thing that we're doing really well. You know, we're very balanced. Um, 
far as our first five go. You know, it could be anybody any night. And when one person is off, I mean, obviously, like, Rachel's an incredible three-point shooter, but when she's off, she's always knocking down threes, you know. Or And we're starting to get our inside game going a little bit. We've been working hard on that all season, and it's really starting to click. I mean, I have uh, always done a great job for us. It might not be huge numbers, but, I mean, the way she defends or the way she rebounds or just keeps someone else off the boards, she's really scoring around the rim now. We have Yasmin Lacey, Lacey, who's a junior, who worked her tail off this summer and came back an entirely different player. I just said to her the other day, hey, we still have four more weeks of you getting better before we get into playoff season. Mm. And she is a beast around the rim. You know, so I'm excited to see her get involved offensively. And then if you just look at Kate Toby's numbers, I mean, it's incredible what she's doing this year. Just, you know, she's always been a great defender and a great point guard and a great distributor. But now she's scoring the basketball. She's getting to the rim. She's knocking down the three. You know, she's playing with so much confidence. And she's getting, you know, people involved that haven't been involved on the offense. So, I really, I like what we're doing. Yeah, Toby's numbers for 46% from the floor, 35% from beyond the arc, 75% from the free throw line, pulling in three rebounds, handing out five-plus assists. Uh, second on the team in steals, the leader in steals is Katie Sires. So whatever Toby's not doing, Sires doing, and whatever Sires not doing, Toby's doing. And of course, you got the rest of the team uh, handing in as well. So here's here's maybe a trick question: What are you doing? What aren't you doing well? Uh, what aren't we doing well? <laughs> wow! Think about it. Take your time. We're, we can yeah. be here all night if you need. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's lots of areas that we still need to improve on. You know, I. We're, um, you know, we, we've been a big pressing team, um, I think, for the, the three years prior. And uh, people have kind of scattered our press pretty well. Um, and we maybe can't press as much as we would like to right now. So, you know, I, I would say we could do a little bit better job with our press or adjusting our press. But I also think in some ways it's making us a better team because we've figured out a way, you know, because we want to play fast. And our press is what has allowed us to do that. And so when people take away our press, then we kind of struggled a little bit. But now we're starting to figure out a way to pick up the pace of the game without pressing, which is it's pretty fun. It, you know, pretty good uh, compliment to my team that they can figure that out, you know. By the way, we have a, a viewer of the show who's a big fan uh, and a big recruiter in the area for a lot of schools, he, he, or at least for himself and help schools. He's a big Scranton fan. Um, and he says he can't wait to meet up with you guys in the NCAA. My question is, when are we going to get you guys in Scranton to play a regular season game? You know, we have tried for the last few years to get Scranton on our schedule, or they've tried to get us, and we can't seem to find a date. And the problem is the NJAC, you know, we play 18 conference games, and our first conference game starts the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So we don't have to have to play them in a tournament or we would have to open the season with them, and I'm not sure either one of us really want to do I've that. I've got but. a great idea. Okay. South Point <laughs> Arena, Las Vegas between All Christmas right. and, and that's what I'm saying, Christmas and New Year's. Forget the other tournament, Coach. Come to the D3Hoops.com Classic. <laughs> Dave, just so you're not offended, we only because of the date. Whatever, Coach. <laughs> we wanted to go before Christmas. <laughs> I don't. I understand. Trust me. I know how complicated these tournaments are. Uh, I'm just. I love having fun with you. Um, so, obviously, you're on the National Committee, so this kind of gives me a perfect opportunity to change in a different direction. You guys are, are certainly going to be on the top of the 
comes to your region in general, and certainly one of the top teams in the country. 546 SOS from our math looks pretty solid, obviously. But what's the rest of this region look like to you? It seems to me like a hodgepodge. Yes, I would agree with you. I think it's tough. Like, I looked at it, and I actually called one of my other national teams today just to ask her a couple of thoughts on her, what she thought about our region. It's going to be tough because, like I said, we have a lot of teams with five and six and seven losses already who have really high strength of schedule. Yeah. So, you know, it's, we're going to have to see how it plays out. We're going to have to see how the national community as a whole feels about it. You know, where my rack, I got a really good rack. They do a good job. We have our mock ranking this week, as you know. Yes. Um, so we'll do the mock ranking, and then, you know, we'll work out any kinks. But, I, you know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, do you feel any pressure now that you're 18-1 and one at this point in the season that you have to keep winning, especially how you see the national landscape out there? Do you, is there pressure to know that you've got to just keep winning? Or do you feel maybe the pressure is off because you are in such great a position right now? No. I said to my assistant the other day, I said to my assistant, like maybe yesterday, I wish I didn't know everything. <laughs> Sometimes I would like to dial back the clock and not have any idea what I need to do. But no, it's pressure. Yeah, we feel pressure. So the National Definitely. Committee and Regional Committee opportunities for you have been both a uh, a a a blessing because you get to understand the situation and a curse because you better understand the situation yeah i didn't sleep much now i just (laughs) never sleep yeah yeah i i hear you there um when obviously times uh, coming up to when we will start these regional rankings and all of that stuff and now that we'll get to see the rankings at the end of the season and whatnot uh obviously you're not chair but i'm just curious uh from your vantage point as things really start to ramp up for you guys what do you hope to the, the committee accomplishes this season? Well, I thought we did a great job. I mean, I, I hope that, I thought we did a great job as the national committee last year. You know, um, just getting the best sixty-four teams in—that's the goal. The goal yeah. is to get the best sixty-four teams in, and I thought we did a pretty. And then balance the playing field as much as we can within the guidelines that the NCAA gives us, um, as far as who gets to host and, and where teams are sent and that kind of thing. You know, and. And and put together the fairest bracket that 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 we can, you know, with the best 64 teams, uh, you know. And I think that we have a great committee that are really committed and work hours and hours. I can't tell you how many hours people put in on this. So, you know, we do our best, um, you know. And and I think that we'll do the same this year. You know, one of the other things are we're obviously, you know, working on it with the NCAA is is the. Um, uh, perhaps another joint championship, which yeah. we would love to try to do down the road. You know, something that maybe could happen every every few years or something like that. But you know, I, I think that's one of our little side goals that we keep, uh, you know, that we keep pushing forward and, and trying to work with the NCAA and, and maybe the WBCA on a little bit. Um, per that championship, obviously got a chance to see you in Indianapolis. Vantage uh, point, what was that experience like? Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, literally, it was, a, it was the greatest thing I've ever been a part of. Like, I, it, it, it was such a cool experience just to be on the national committee. I can't imagine what it was like to play in it. And I'll tell you, to be honest, like, that experience meant so much to me. We got we got a, one of those basketballs that has uh, Division One, to Division Two, Division Three. Nice. That was from the national championship. And that's the basketball that we're using as our game ball this year. Really? You would, yeah. You would scrub that thing up? 
Yeah, it's the, I took it. It was a gift. Wow. Yeah, I'm just impressed you're up. using it and not throwing it in a nice mantle location. Oh, uh, no. That's our lucky basketball. Are you well, kidding? Apparently. That's our, that's our game ball. Yeah. The problem is can't use it in the tournament. <laughs> no, I can't use it in the yeah. tournament. We can use it to lean right up to it. Hey, listen, when you're done, send it to the uh, studio. We'd love to put it in here. <laughs> No, I'm not taking your prize away. That's awesome. I'm totally kidding with you. Uh, No, it was a great experience. It was fun to do, and I agree. I kind of like the idea of doing it again. I heard a great idea of maybe doing it every five years. Yeah. I think that might be a nice hybrid uh, to help help it uh, get another chance, but at the same time not screw up the tournament schedule as much as it does. Right, right, exactly. Um, well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know I know you want to get to bed because, you know, you have so much sleep to catch up on. Uh, with this season, and obviously with Stockton ahead, you don't need to study. I, I don't. I think you're fine. Tomorrow's game and Saturday, I think you're good. Um, <laughs> At least I don't have to do the scouts wise, right? That's true. That's well, unless it really goes sideways, you might have to go, <laughs> go check right? the other scout out again. Um, <laughs> as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? I just want to thank you know say thanks for having me, and and thanks for your Montclair State a shout out. You know, we're really proud of what we have at our institution. And uh, really proud of our student athletes and how hard they work and what great representatives of Division Three women's basketball they are. So thanks for everything that you do there, and we really appreciate all the support. Well, thank you, Coach. Great to have you on. As you and I will talk at some point down the road here in this season. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. Look, we're looking forward to this week, but also looking forward to seeing how the NJAC uh, turns out in the end. And uh, have fun at least. All right, we're definitely having fun. Don't worry. Awesome, Coach. Take care. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. See ya. Coach Karen Harvey joining us on the uh, City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. The team is 18-1, and one, and I'm, I'm serious when I say the NJAC is so improved that to know that they're 11-1 and one in conference is pretty darn impressive. They've got the game lead on Kane, but as you know, with two wins, they basically have a two-game lead on Kane because they can be tied and they will have the tiebreaker. Again, against Stockton at Stockton. Then Wednesday at William Patterson, Saturday back home against Stockton. Then they finish out at New Jersey City at home against uh, New Jersey uh, TCNJ, who they their, their lone loss so far, and then at Rutgers Camden. That will be how the season ends. We're going to keep going here and wrap up the commercial break. So if Coach happens to be on the line and holding, Coach, I'm not going to be able to get to you. I apologize. Sometimes the coaches hold on just to say hello at the end, and I don't want her to keep holding. So uh, let's get to a couple other things uh, as we move along. If you uh, do have any questions for us when we're on our podcast or for our Hoopsville mailbag segment, you can uh, always uh, email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Interact with us on Instagram at d3hoopsville and hashtag hoopsville. Um, a couple of things here. Well, it's going to go through the mailbag. A bunch of quick-hitting questions, a couple others that hopefully we can keep tight. We'll answer those questions. Uh, I told you I would go through the top 25, so we will go through that in my quick thoughts. And then I'll go back to the FDU story um, about um, uh, Mark Mitchell, or yeah, uh, their head coach, and what I have learned, but also there's more on the way. I won't give you everything. But let's start with the Hoopsville mailbag. We actually have six questions. Some of these are quick hitters, so we'll get to them. Let's start with the first one. John in Syracuse says, Great interview with Coach uh, Flickertsey. I think he just wanted me to say that name again from Rochester last week. Follow up about the UAA and other conferences that may be in the same situation. How much does it hurt conferences who don't have postseason tournaments when it comes to selection time? 
Are there any pros for not having a postseason tournament? Well, let's first start and say there's nobody else NCAA who's in the same situation as the UAA. They're the only ones who do not have a conference tournament. So let's start with the first question. How much does it hurt conferences who don't have postseason tournaments when it comes to selection time? You could make the argument that it hurts them because there isn't an extra one, two, maybe even teams added to the resume. If you were to get as far as three, and in some conferences you do, like the ODAC, um, you then at least have two more wins. So take Rochester last year, who finished 17-8 and on the season. Uh, that finished with a 680 winning percentage with a pretty good SOS. Without that, that winning percentage is nobody since the SOS was installed, I believe, in Division Three men's basketball has gotten in to the tournament with a less than 667 winning percentage. So the 680 is right on the door. So let's say they played two more games and went one for one. Make them 18 and 9. Uh, that would put them, I'm doing the wrong math here. Um, I still did the wrong math. I apologize. If they went one on one, they might be in a little bit more trouble. The advantage is they may have gotten a win over another regionally ranked opponent. That adds to that number. Their loss would have been to another regionally ranked opponent, most likely. That would have helped with that number. The SOS would have been boosted, et cetera. If for some reason they got all eight teams in the in the UAA and they played a quarterfinal, semifinal championship, and let's just say Rochester went two and one in that situation. So they're now 19 out of the 28 games. And they now have about the same winning percentage. But again, one at least probably against a regionally ranked opponent, one more certainly a loss, but again against a regionally ranked opponent. I think it helps them. That's an argument for how it helps them. You could make the argument that it hurts them there. You notice that winning percentage doesn't take a necessary jump uh, increase. Extra loss could hurt them if they don't have another win. If they only play two games, the extra loss and win actually don't help them at all. Let's see, they were 17 and 8, so now they're 18 and 9. So 18, um, I didn't do it right. Hold on a second. 18 divided by 27 is 667, puts them on them. And so going one and one more would have maybe hurt them. So it's risky. And, and that's where other conferences who have um, tournaments play a little bit of a roulette game. And that's where the other part of this question are. Are there pros for not having a postseason tournament? The pros are, and this is where it gets interesting, the pros technically, the, 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 the teams that might be in bubble situation or in the most tenuous shape don't take another loss. So they don't hurt themselves any further. They may gain a win, may gain two wins, but they don't pick up that loss. So the resume holds. The second thing, and this one's the most, I think it's something I think the committees ought to consider. I had a great suggestion presented to me that the SOS ought to stop being calculated at the end of the regular season, but before the conference tournaments start. Here's the reasoning. If you think about this, in most conference tournaments, the top are hurt by the tournament because they play lower-seeded teams, most likely with worse records, and in cases of conferences who have eight teams, it may be a sub-500 uh, record. The SOS is going to go in reverse on them. So a, a, a program who's you know dominating their conference and has to play a team who's who's horrible in the first round, going to take an SOS hit. Then they're potentially going to take that SOS hit the second time as well. 
as the one team will either play at best the four or at worst um, the five, maybe a six, maybe a seven at some point, depending on how the tournament plays out. They're taking an SOS hit, and that hurts now teams, and it hurts conferences. So the idea that they don't take an SOS hit, they don't take extra losses, arguably could help you out. So the tournaments can depending on the situation. The tournament can be very beneficial for teams who are on the bubble who need an extra couple of wins to help boost them. They most likely, at some point, one of those teams is probably not a top seed, so they're going to play some teams that will boost their SOS, whereas the top teams are going to lose SOS because they're playing the bottom-ranked teams and potentially, if they're a bubble team, could take a loss they could not afford. Let's give you an example. Lancaster Bible last year ended the season undefeated. They're in the NCAA tournament. They would have gotten the AQ as the conference's best team. If By playing the tournament, they risked taking a loss, which would have kicked them out of the tournament. Now, I made an argument then that that shouldn't have happened. That's, that's irrelevant to the fact. Yes, they could have taken a loss during the regular season and missed out on the tournament as well, but that's the regular season. The postseason tournament would have hurt them. I am for postseason tournaments because I think they're exciting. I think it gives teams who may not have had the finish or the best middle of the season a final chance to make a difference. And I think for most conferences, it actually sometimes bolsters those lower bubble teams with better resumes, uh, increasing the SOS most likely, certainly an extra couple of wins possibly as well. But there are ways that it can hurt, and I think the UAA has seen that in some other occasions when teams have been left out. It's a slippery slope. There's only one conference in the country who doesn't have it, so there you go. Next question. I'm a fan of SUNY Canton, but I know, uh, I, but I know the life of an independent school can be difficult in Division Three. What do the Roos or other independents have to do to try and make the postseason? This is Rachel in Um First and foremost, that's almost impossible. There used to be a time for a number of years we had the Pool B bid, which basically was an uh, um, uh, a chance. After the automatic qualifiers, the first ones to be selected for at-large were going to independence. Those in conferences that didn't have an IQ or those who were not in conferences, their numbers were great enough that they could then get a pick first. They were the first at-large picks before we got to everybody else. We don't have enough independents. There aren't enough. You need nine to get a bid. And as a result, the independents are out on their own. There isn't a conference in Division Three basketball right now have an automatic bid so all of these is so there's no bulk of teams who are in a conference with no bid um automatic bid and thus you're left with independents like canton like alfred and, and some others um santa cruz for example out in california the best they can do is go out and schedule a very good schedule that gives them a very good sos and do well against that schedule that is far trickier than, than you can assume. Canton's SOS is a 519. Not bad, actually. Uh, the problem is um, they are 12 and 8 against it, and their record in Division 3 is 8 and 7. Pretty much no go. No chance. They're going to get in. What they have to do, Canton, is schedule better than the 519, believe it or not. They have to schedule more Division 3s 
extremely challenging, especially this time of year when everybody is tied up with conferences. My suggestion with Canton is contact the NESCAC. Notice that Tufts play, is playing two non-conference opponents in the next two weeks. Canton's got to find a way to find guys to fit in. Um, and then they got to win. Uh, 12 and 8, 8 and 7. 12 and 8 overall, 8 and 7 overall. They, they can't do that. They need to go win. So it's really tricky for the independents. It's almost unfair. I can certainly appreciate that. The only other thing is create a conference or get into a conference. I can tell you now getting into a conference is almost impossible. The NEAC a year ago said no to them, and I think it's Alfred or Alfred State. I always get the two confused. Uh, Alfred State, I believe, said no to both of them, and then the NEAC put themselves on a on a freeze for two years of expansion. There are enough movement that could be interesting. I We do know from Canton from an earlier interview on Hoopsville that they are looking at doing something, but that's the easiest. To be honest with you, the easiest way is find a way to make a conference and get in. You just need those seven schools and then wait two years. Um, that's going to be tough. They're going to have to pill other conferences. And maybe that's possible. But that's really tough for an independent. Um, uh, it says Rachel from Botsdam. That's not correct. I apparently didn't uh, grab the graphic correctly here. Let me double check who this uh, question is uh, actually from. Uh, bear with me. Um this is from Stace. Uh, nope, 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 nope. David in Virginia Beach, <laughs> I believe, right? Dave, yes, this is David in Virginia Beach. Forgive the graphic. How good is CNU's women's team this year? They are dark horse, my dark horse to win it all. His, that is. Uh, I don't see anyone in the CAC stopping the captains. Of course, the NCAA tournament time all depends on matchups, but I think CNU has what it takes to get to the four. Agree, or am I crazy? Uh, interesting that we're talking about the women's team here, who I think is sneaky darn good. They're in the top. Uh, five, I believe. Uh, they just, and thanks to the win over um, Mary Washington last week, 75 67, they then went and beat Salisbury by 3 61 58 this past week. They've got Mary Washington ahead. They've still got to play Marymount. Uh, they even have York ahead of them in the next six. Um, so I don't think CNU's done here. I don't, I don't necessarily think they go undefeated. Uh, I think Mary Washington ha absolutely has the capabilities of winning, especially considering that game's on the road. Marymount might be able to Marymount's not having I mean Marymount's 15 and 4 and 9 and 3 in the conference. So and remember Mary Washington's 18 and 1 and 11 and 1. So I think either of those two teams can win especially when you have to play at Mary Washington. And then York's looming. The very last game of the season at York, York is 14 and 5, 8 and 4 in the conference. The last time those two teams faced was December 11th. Um, it was at home for Christopher Newport and York lost by 12. Any one of those three, I think can, can trip up CNU absolutely right. That the tournament then depends on how this is going to happen for Christopher Newport. I think being where they the South and the fact that they'll, they'll have a more Southerly direction. I would assume depends on who comes out of the ODAC and some other schools as to how this tournament is going to be broken down. Um, Christopher Newport could also end up heading up north if they go have to go through Montclair State. I think we got an interesting battle. If they get into the Mid-Atlantic group too much, and the problem is Christopher Newport is so far east that getting them to the Great Lakes is almost impossible. You might remember Christopher Newport was the, was the wild card in the year that Thomas Moore, we all thought, was going to host the second weekend, and it got shipped to the Great Northwest. Uh, I want to say George Fox hosted that one. Um, the reason it happened was Christopher Newport won their second round game 
meaning everybody to get to Thomas More was over 500 miles, including Christopher Newport. So they shipped everybody to the George Fox, which I thought was the right decision. So getting Christopher Newport to the Great Lakes is tough. So they're either going to have to have enough teams in the south area, ODAC and elsewhere, to keep Christopher Newport down there. But at some point, they're going to have to move. And that means moving him in the Mid-Atlantic. So does that mean you know they're going to have to face Scranton, another CAC foe potentially, Centennial foes. You've got uh, the rest of the, of the, the landmark, including Catholic, um, or you're into the Atlantic. You're now dealing with Montclair. Um, you move into the east. Christopher Newport's going to have a tough road no matter what they've got. Now, Scranton lost their second uh, in three games, so maybe they're a little bit more susceptible. But Catholic's good. Scranton's good. We talked just now about the CAC, Marymount, Mary Washington, and York. Salisbury's lurking. I don't think tournament, so that may not be relevant. I don't think CNU's got a dominating way to get to the Final Four. It would certainly be interesting if they did, but I'm not betting on it. Um, I think the road's going to be too tough. That said, they're good. Um, they're tricky. Uh, the article written around the nation I thought was terrific about them, but their next game is Mary Washington this week at Mary Washington on Wednesday. They then travel a, um, to St. Mary's on Saturday. Then a week and a half, they're at home against Marymount, uh, at home against Wesley the following Saturday. Their final game of the regular season is against York. They've been down schedule here. This is going to be tough. Let's just get through the season. I don't think they get through undefeated. I think at least one, if not two, of these games are losses, believe it or not. And that will also change how that bracket turns out. And the CAC championship is going to be outstanding, the tournament. Next question, Ramapo for real? Are the Roadrunners a top 10 team? Tennessee. Ironically, Richard, I actually had this conversation. Whoops, as I go to the wrong question here, I meant to, I meant, we'll get to that next question in a bit. I actually had this question with some people or a conversation with this, some people the other day. I do think they're a top 10 team. I saw them uh, in Las Vegas, and here's the deal. We've seen, we've been out there for seven, D3hoops.com. Ramapo's been there for six. Uh, Ramapo has come into that tournament pre uh a top 25 team in the past. Um, they actually lost to Stevens Point that year when they were there. I think that was the year Stevens Point might have gone on to the national championship, but I might have my years wrong. My point being, I I'd never been blown away by Ramapo. They're always feisty. They always have some great talent. They're, they always got some incredible speed, et cetera, and they're always in your face defense. The year they were ranked, they were good, but this year I thought they were better and they came in unranked. Um, more weapons. More on the same page with each other. I almost dare say that less transfers at midseason. Ramapo's famous for having transfers. Mostly injects famous for having transfers at midseason. I'm uh, to the point that I'm asking, what is your roster? Cause I keep getting surprised. They had almost no transfers, I think, or at least no impact transfers this year. I think the team's more on the same page. I think they're darn good. I think they're darn dangerous. Here's the trick. They've got to get through the rest of the NJAC without being beaten up. And they have absolutely got to get in the NCAA tournament and put their foots down or feet foot down. They cannot lay off the accelerator. And I cannot tell you how many times Ramapo has done that in the opening weekend of the tournament. Rolled over. Remember the year Scranton got all the way to the Elite Eight and beat uh, or lost to Cabrini, beating Middlebury in the Sweet 16? They should have faced Ramapo in the second round. And I think that tournament changes completely. But Ramapo rolled over in the first round. Completely different Ramapo squad this year. I'm going to keep on them. Hopefully they can finish the season, but they're dangerous this year. 
I actually think they're very good, and I do have them in my top 10. Regional rankings around the corner. You're right. They come out in 10 days. Do you try and rank men's and women's teams yourself before the committee releases the rankings for fun? What's your process? Uh, no. <laughs> um, listen, we have enough work to do when it comes to selecting teams. I don't want to extrapolate out and do regional rankings. Here's what I do do. A lot of guys on the on, and gals on the boards, d3boards.com, will put out there um, what they think the rankings will be. Um, Matt Snyder, who we talked about, does an amazing job um, with his numbers um, that we've re- referenced a lot of times when we talked about SOS on the men's side because he can he's doing the math, and it's pretty much dead on to what the NCAA is doing. Um, he will put his out strictly on data. Uh, others do it, but they all have their own biases, and, and rightly so. I will look at a lot of those, and I will make comments and, and, and judgments based on what others are doing because that is my ability to see what they have and do my own research. I don't have time to sit down and do every single region and both genders before any of the regional rankings. It is f- I can make guesstimations on what I know, but I'm not going to put 13 or 12 teams together from the Northeast. I, I just don't have that kind of time. Yes, I will sit here and, and be able to give you guesstimations. Like, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure Tufts men's basketball is going to be number one in the Northeast. I'm sorry, number two. Babson would be number one. Um, I'm You know, where I think there might be a dark horse or something like that. But I can't, I don't have the time to go deeper than that. I also don't have the data as readily available as the committees do. The committees have them on computers. They pop up. They can make comparisons and all that. I literally have to take a pad or an Excel spreadsheet or something and do all of that myself. And I don't have time. Look at what others do. I look at the what they do for reasoning and make my own decisions and, and give my own feedback on D3 boards or here on the show, but I don't do them ahead of time. It's just far too much work. And our final question comes from Kwame in St. Louis. He says, how early is too early to start making bracket projections? Um, probably depends on what you turn by bracket projections. If you're talking about selections to the NCAA tournament, we're already doing that on D3 boards. We kind of do it here on the show. A lot of the questions you'll hear me ask from now on there, are you, do you feel like you're on the bubble? Are you in trouble? Here's why I asked that question. And you'll start sensing who I think is in the tournament and who I think is safe. On the flip side of that, uh, as far as making a bracket far too early, um, I can't. I've almost gotten to the point where making the bracket while it's fun is frustrating, because the mileage is so a part of this equation. And there's other details we might not know. Like we might pick a host, and it turns out that host can't even host. Uh, whatever they didn't put their paperwork in, or there's a problem, or they're not big enough, or whatever the case may be. I love bracketing, but it 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 it's so. Here's the other thing: is we make a bracket, we think it's really cool, and the NCAA comes out with a completely different one, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" But your bracket's not like D3 hoops. We like D3. You can make 100 brackets in Division Three with all the rules and plot. You could put 100 brackets together, and every single one of them would have flaws, and every single one of them would be good, well, for the most part. You're going to find some bad ones. But, no, I, I think it's too early to bracket, truly bracket a tournament in the in, for Division Three. The other thing, too, is the first regional rankings have no impact on the second regional rankings is when we truly start having an impact because the results versus regionally ranked opponents has two regional rankings involved. So the second one's going to become a factor. 
uh, for the third one. And the last one's going to have those previous two, and then that last one's going to be dropped. It gets a little complicated, but that's going to be a factor. So that's when you can start really narrowing down who you think is going to be making it and who's on the bubble and et cetera. Um, and then bracketing is really that last week, but really we still don't even know who's in because I can't tell you how many Pool C bubbles will burst and that will change everything. We're running really late here, so let's keep this moving. If you've got more questions for the Hoopsville Mailbag, email them, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. We'll get them on another. Top 25, as far as the men's side, I told you not a ton of losses. We mentioned the, the Tufts lost to Bates. Whitworth lost to Whitman. We mentioned that back on, on Thursday's show, pretty much giving Whitman the uh, Northwest Conference, barring a, a, a complete collapse. I think Whitworth will fall out of the top 10 as a result. Denison took their second loss of the season on Saturday, losing to Wittenberg 71-70. Be honest, that one surprised me. Wittenberg, it's not like Wittenberg isn't a decent team, but I, I almost feel like Denison kind of laid off uh, the pedal there a little bit. So Denison taking a bit of a hit there. They'll fall out of the top 10. They actually might lose a lot of votes, and I say this because uh, I think a lot of people haven't been buying into Denison, and this is a perfect excuse for them to go off the bandwagon. Um, Susquehanna, number 11, lost to Moravian, 80-77. to I was keeping an eye on that game. That's not a great loss, though Moravian's playing far better this season. Give Moravian credit. They've beaten Scranton this year. They have beaten Susquehanna. They've given Catholic a run for their money. Um, don't be surprised if Moravian pulls off a little bit of a surprise, maybe in the tournament. Uh, Susquehanna picking up their third loss. Uh, we'll see how far they tumble. I'm not even voting for them. They're at number 11. Uh, I'm not saying I'm a, a, a huge amount of nut, uh, points, but it kind of gives you an idea of how the other voters feel about them. Salisbury, as we mentioned earlier in the week, lost to Christopher Newport. I don't think that will hurt them much, though they barely got past Mary Washington. Some voters might be getting nervous with them. Augustana lost to Carthage, 74-70 in overtime. And as we mentioned, lost their sophomore, uh, Warford, for the rest of the season. He is out of the school. Uh, I think some voters might bail on Augustana, but I'm not really sure. Um New Jersey City lost to TCNJ um, to split the season with TCNJ. Proves that TCNJ is as good as people were predicting out of there, but it also puts New Jersey City in some in a bit of a bind here, picking up their fourth loss. Honestly, I don't think they can can be uh, on the table with more than six losses. So they got to button it up. Uh, if they're on the table for a selection, that means they lost in the conference tournament, which means they at least they really. I, I think they're risking if they get to six. Uh, that would put them at, um, let's see, 19 and 6. Uh, no, no, that'd be 21 and 6. Uh, I have to see their SOS. Hold on a second. I have that. Their SOS as of right now, um, 487. Oh, Jersey City could be in some trouble here. Um, that being said, that SOS will come up, but Jersey City could be in some trouble. Um Swarthmore in the receiving votes category lost to Gettysburg. Not a good loss for, for Swarthmore. Lycoming lost twice. Uh, Messiah and Widener beat them. I have a feeling Lycoming, almost a deja vu to last year. Are they kind of derailing here uh, at the end of the season? We'll keep an eye on that, but they'll probably lose all of their 36 votes. Uh, Hardin-Simmons lost to Concordia of Texas, 95-89. That hurts for me as a voter of Hardin-Simmons. I'm going to have to look at that a bit more closely. Uh, Eastern Connecticut, we mentioned on Thursday, lost to Keene State, ending like an 11-game winning streak, I think it was. They're 14-6. and six. Hanover lost to Rose Holman. We mentioned that on Thursday, but they at least got back on the horse and beat Defiance. Brockport had a horrible week. Lost to Fredonia, um, 97-61, then lost to us. Uh, no, I'm sorry, lost to beat Fredonia. I'm misreading this. Beat Fredonia, then lost to Oswego and Cortland this weekend. Two losses to Brockport. They're 15-5. and five. 
team that's just playing. I, I can't tell you how many people tell me Brockport's a good team. They're just inconsistent. Uh, St. Lawrence lost to Skidmore. We mentioned that at the beginning of the week. At least they came back the rest of the weekend and had it and did well when they beat RPI and Union. Albertus Magnus lost to St. Joseph's of Maine. A little bit of surprise there. Albertus Magnus was only getting one vote, so uh, they just won't have another vote. Uh, on the women's side, actually more losses in the top 25. Uh, Hope lost to Albion, which we mentioned, but at least they got back and beat uh, Elma 83-65. Scranton took that second games, losing to Elizabethtown on Saturday, 61-55. Uh, this looked like Scranton had a bad game, plain and simple. Really rough uh, weekend for Carnegie Mellon. Um, lost both to Wash U and Chicago today. Wash U on Friday, 78-77, and Chicago, 81-61. Those were home games. For Carnegie Mellon, 15-3, they'll fall out of the top 10. But they're still a really good team. But that makes that UAA race even more messy. Whitewater women, we mentioned lost to Stevens Point, got back on the on the winning horse by beating lacrosse. And George Fox, we mentioned lost to Puget Sound, but then beat Pacific. Uh, actually, we didn't mention that. George Fox lost to Puget Sound, in case you missed that. George having the same season many are accustomed to. Uh, I'll get back to one of these other ones. Marymount lost to Frostburg. We mentioned that on Thursday. Augustana had a rough weekend on the women's side as well. They lost to Illinois Wesleyan this week and they lost to Carthage. And then Babson, we mentioned, lost to MIT in double overtime but beat Smith. Um, but then we get to FDU Florham. We mentioned this earlier. They beat Manhattanville 44 and lost to Misericordia 86-67. Here's what I know about the FDU Florham case. Mark Mitchell, their head coach, has not been coaching the last two. From what I have been told through two independent sources, he has been suspended. Uh, really, three sources, uh, now that I think about it. He has been suspended, barring, uh, apparently an investigation into his behavior and the team's behavior. I'm not going to go into a lot of details here, but it all stems to some stuff that happened last year and some stuff that happened uh, this uh, about a week a week ago uh, in their game against Delaware Valley. Um I, I can tell you this much, that the, that I've been told that the school's president suspended him. I do know that the conference is involved, or at least monitoring the case, that the president has decided to investigate this, so it's now out of the athletic department's control. And I believe it is other schools in the conference who have finally had enough of basically behavior by FDU Florham's head coach and the team. That's about as general as I'm going to get. I'm going to get for right now. There's a lot more out there. I can promise you this. Uh, we will have an article most likely by tomorrow on d3hoops.com about this. Uh, we don't know who will or will not comment about this, and we will cover it more on the Hoopsville Marathon coming up on Thursday. Inter interesting enough, we were going to ask uh, Coach Mitchell to come on the show because it was about time we talked to FDU Florham. They were on top of the conference at the time. Doubt that's going to happen now if he is on suspension. Don't know how this turns out. I don't think it looks good for Coach Mitchell, in my opinion, from everybody I have talked to. But we'll see what their president has to say on this matter. Uh, and we will leave it at that. But that is uh, something to keep an eye on. But I have been told he has been suspended indefinitely. And we will learn more. Again, an article being put together for D3Hoops.com with far more details. And on Thursday, we'll talk in more detail as well. Speaking of Thursday, that is our marathon show as we've gone marathon on this show. We're 20 minutes past when I thought I'd go off the air with this one. Um, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Ton to talk about, ton to do. We can't give you a guest idea right now, except for a handful of guests uh, that we know about. Uh, we will get to those. Uh, we'll be pro uh, putting up the show information as soon as tomorrow afternoon, so you can start following along about who we will have on. It's all part of our campaign. I want to thank those of you who have, have donated to that fundraiser already. We've had a handful of people, um, so we're at least 
you know, 3% of the way towards our goal. <laughs> I want to thank those of you. There are great perks if you want to uh, do that. We sent out a tweet earlier before the show started with a special link uh, if you want to um, uh, contribute to the fundraiser at a lower um, perk per level. Basically, get all the same thing for the $75 perk at $60. Uh, we'll talk plenty more about this campaign on Thursday. We're going to be doing a big push this week about it. Um, but if you uh, appreciate what we do here on the show, please take the time to, to give us something in return so that we can continue doing the show. That's the basics of it. We're going to get going as of a, uh, that note because we are way past our time and we want to get off the air. We also have to save our energy a little bit for Thursday. So if you don't forget, again, Thursday we'll be on the air at 10 a.m. Eastern and going for 12 hours here from the Hoopsville Studios with lots of interviews lined up and lots of conversations. Uh, and then on next Sunday, a week from today on the Super Bowl, uh, we will go on the air about 1 or 2 o'clock Eastern time. We'll, we'll decide that time. Just bear with us. Um, we'll we'll tweet that out or, or whatnot as we get uh, at least a show under our belts before the big game. I want to thank Bob Sheldon at Tufts, uh, Coach Carrillo at uh, Alex Ritchie at Ogathorpe, Dan Miller at Letourneau, and Kevin Harvey, Kevin, Karen Harvey at Montclair State, and, of course, all of their sports information directors and staff for helping us put tonight's show together. Really appreciate you tuning in as well. Uh, as I quickly double-check to make sure we haven't gotten any comments uh, that I have missed somewhere along the line, uh, I don't see any. So thank you for tuning in, everybody, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, again, if you want to be part of our Hoopsville mailbag, email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. Uh, and join us on uh, Twitter at d3hoopsville and hashtag hoopsville. Uh, I think that's about doing it. Um, I, that's all I got. Yeah, that's it. We're going to get going. We're going to be back here Thursday morning. 10 a.m. Eastern. Log on and enjoy the marathon from the Hoopsville Mar from the Hoopsville Studios. It should be great. Thanks to uh, the City of Salem, WBCA Women's Basketball Coaches Association, the National Co National Basketball Coaches Association, the NBAC, NABC, National Association of Basketball Coaches, Women's Basketball Coaches Association, City of Salem, and D3Hoops.com for helping us put on the show as they always do. We'll see you here on Thursday night. Good night. And enjoy some basketball. It should be a great rest of the season. One month to go, folks. This is when it gets really good. It's been good already. Good night. We'll see you on Thursday. <laughs>